Project Moving Podcast, episode three, recorded August 13th, 2021. Um, so the next thing that I wanted to hit on was, um, I don't know what date he died, but within the past two weeks or so, uh, Joey Jordison died uh, rather unexpectedly because he was only like 46 or something. Yeah, yeah, 46. And so, um, fuck, man, that's only eight years older than I am. Fuck that, right? Like, <gasps> well, and consider that his most prolific work was from you know really just in like a from like ninety nine to you know two thousand ten, two thousand eleven or so, yeah. like like a decade long. It's crazy that he had as much influence as he did. So July twenty six, little over two years, two weeks ago. Gotcha. Um, so you know, us being thirty eight. And us being in high school when Slipknot self-title came out, being like sort of in between our sophomore and our junior year, you know, uh, Slipknot was absolutely prolific for us. So, you know, we wanted to riff on that. And me, you know, being a drummer and whatnot, I have quite a bit to say. But um, before I start rocking my spiel on shit, so I wanted to sort of ask you to kind of get a guitarist perspective Yes. So, like, you know, in 99, so I'm trying to think, like, I guess, like, as a guitarist, you know, how did sort of other drummers at the time, I guess, like, how did Joey sort of seem in comparison to other drummers to you at the time? So we're talking... First album. Yeah, first album. 99. Or, or later, you know, like... Because, well, I mean, as it went on, obviously my opinion uh, solidified. But just hearing... Wow. I don't have any Slipknot vinyl. Wow. But I have, like, all the CDs. <laughs> yeah, so, like, hearing this album, like, I mean, I, I didn't really know what to make of it at first, but one of the things, like... So much fucking going on in this album, right? There's nine people making a lot of noise. <laughs> yeah. And you just hear bits and pieces of guitar. Like, you hear a little bit of a guitar riff here and there. I don't remember any bass on this album, but it's probably there. You know, uh, samples, obviously. Percussion. So you hear a shitload of drums everywhere. But the the drumming on the drum kit that took place on this album was, like, very precise and very powerful and fucking fast and intricate in a way that you did not normally hear on a lot of metal albums. And this at the time was like very fast, aggressive metal that wasn't really happening a lot mm. in mm. a lot of ways mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is how I remember it. Okay. Okay. Uh, it was impressive. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Like, so I was really fortunate that my first time hearing Slipknot was seeing them live um, you know, July 1999 on Ozfest, and right. so um, at like 11 o'clock in the morning, they were the third band, to the go- brunch band, hmm? the brunch band, the brunch band. Yeah, they hmm. were the third band to go on, and uh, it was Flashpoint, Head PE, and then Slipknot, and uh, and so I mean, not to just go into I'm going to try to keep it focused on Joey and to try to keep it focused on his drumming because if I go, if I 
Because we could do a podcast about Slipknot, I'm abs- sure. Absolutely, we could. So, um, try to laser focus for now, I guess. So, the thing was for me is that in '99, I was already into death metal and I was already into black metal. Like, I already had Morbid Angel records. I was already into Emperor. I was already, you know, already had the first Nile record. Um, and so whenever, and the thing too was this, that climate then still sort of had a little bit of this, like, like it wasn't a guarantee that bands were going to have double bass and stuff, but I, but I loved that. That was like my shit. I loved it. You know what I mean? But I mean, even on that OzFest lineup, the only other two bands on the entire bill that, you know, had prominent double bass was Slayer and Fear Factory. Huh. Yeah. And when you think about it, really, of the big bands of that time that had prominent double bass playing, it was really just like Slayer, Fear Factory, Pantera. Yeah, because, I mean, you're right. That that time period was like a big lull in that that style, and I really can't think of too many other... It was always a kind of a treat to hear. Right, right, yeah. you know? And and so to hear a drummer like Joey just whole hog, like, into it, you know? Like, it... I And to sort of be using, like, some of the death metal vocabulary. He wasn't using Blast Beats yet, not on the first record, um, but... Just there were still elements of the vocabulary. And, and well, and the thing too is like, there's a lot of like, if you haven't listened to a lot of Morbid Angel, you don't really understand how much sort of slipknot sort of lifted from their feel. Yeah, I have no uh, reference point for that. So. I'll show you some stuff in a little bit. Um, but, you know, like, so, but I knew that. And so whenever I would hear those things, I, all of a sudden I felt like these, these nine crazy fucks from Iowa listened to what I listened to. And it made me feel very, very seen and understood. And um, so, yeah, it was like one of the best, one of the like most, one of the biggest deal shows I'd ever seen. Right. Uh, biggest, you know. And then so, and he hung, and this is the thing too, he hung out and he signed stuff for like um, like 40 minutes after the show, after the show, after the set. And I saw, I went up to him and I had, a, you know, I had a chance to meet him briefly Oh man! At the first time you saw them, first time. Wow, well, I didn't know that. Yeah, man. And, I, and so I go up to him, and I and in like in my dumb, dopey, like jockey, sixteen-year-old way, I was like, "Dude, bro, I love that fucking double bass, man." Like some, I said some dumb shit like that, right? And you know, like we didn't sit there and like talk for a half hour or nothing, but but you know what he said and the way that he said it really just left an impact on me because he. He was just so intensely grateful and sincere. And he put his hands together and he said, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, like it, it, for me as a kid, it felt like he really heard what I said and like he, you know, and, and he really just reciprocated me trying to, and he was like, thank you so much, man. Is there anything you want me to sign? Yeah. Just being engaged with the person talking to him. there. Absolutely. And, and, and and I didn't have anything, but I had my wrist taped up because my wrist was messed up from football or something. And so he like signed my wrist tape. Oh man, cool! Like I have it, I have it in a box inside. I didn't have time to. I was going to try to find it, but I didn't have time to. Joe, you signed my cast, man. Kinda, yeah. Um, you know, and so, but basically, his reaction right then, like that, was like, okay, well, I'm a Slipknot fan for life now, absolutely. 
you know, I'm going to buy a shirt. I'm going to buy the album. I'm going to buy the fucking, you know, the flamethrower, <laughs> the cereal, the koozie, whatever I can find. Um, and so, so yeah, so that was like a thing that, you know what I mean? And a lot of people sort of talk about like, you know, like, oh, Joey, because then on Iowa, you know, he brought blast beats into it. And so he sort of raised like he you know he made blast beats an undeniable part of the metal drummer vocabulary it became so can you just imagine like you're a young drummer because we were a little we're a little older you know what i mean so we were we were all we already had a band we were already playing our instruments you know but can you imagine like getting into drums and you're hearing people equal shit and disaster piece. Yeah. That's a high motherfucking bar, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what, and so like when you look at like a lot of the death core bands, you know, suicide silence and all those guys, you know, that were really like prominent in the late two thousands slipknot was like their Pantera, their Metallica in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. I guess I never really realized that. Like, looking back, uh, sure, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But at the time, I certainly didn't. Like, he's the reason there are, there's just, like, just so many sick-ass drummers right now. Like, there's just, just, you, you know, like, it's so, because they, they got into him, and then they would read an interview or something like that, and he'd mention Morbid Angel or Deicide, and then they would get into death metal. And then, mm. you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. And so on and so on and so forth, you know. Um, And so, yeah, so there's like that whole aspect of it, right? Um, Now, um, so now here's like another like really sort of specific thing that I want to riff on in terms of, of, uh, in terms of Joey's drumming. Okay. So in the great sort of pantheon of uh, jazz drummers, okay, um, Tony Williams is kind of, if there was one person who was at the top, if there had to be one, then lots of people will say Tony Williams. Um, undeniably one of the best, best musicians to ever pick up the drumsticks is sort of his reputation. And I didn't really get why until really this past year. I mean, I've been, I've been playing jazz and been listening to jazz for like 20 years or something. Right. Um, but I didn't really, you know, it's like, okay, well I understand what everyone is saying about it, but I don't really get it, get it. And then I, I finally got it this past year or so. I don't know what made it click, but it finally clicked. And so what I, so the thing about Tony Williams is that, um, so, The drum, the role of the drummer in the band, you, you have a few functions, okay? So there's like keeping the time, there's um, outlining the form of the song, you know, like, okay, well, this, you know, like dynamically, like here's the verse, I'm going to close the hi-hat, here's the chorus, I'm going to open the hi-hat, here's the bridge, I'm going to go to the right of the tom, you know? Setting the tone in a lot of ways. Yeah, like you're you're building yeah. the framework, right? Yeah. You know, you're maintaining the tempo and the feel. You're building the framework, um, and then there's sort of also you're you're sort of guiding, you know, through your fills and your dynamics and your changes. You're guiding 
to the next section, you know, like you're conducting the band. Right. Um, and so before Tony Williams, drummers were sort of judged on how well or how interesting they performed those functions. It's like, Oh, well, you know, Tony, you know, like Elvin Jones is just such a great, he just accompanies John Coltrane in such a great way. Like he just makes John Coltrane sound so good. Like you were sort of defined by how well you made the rest of the band sound. Right. Okay. Now, then, then Tony Williams comes along and Tony Williams is like, fuck you. Keep your own goddamn time. I'm not going to babysit you while we're up here on this fucking bandstand. You know the tune. You need to keep up with the music. You need to know where you are. You need to know the tempo because I got shit to do. I got him. shit to say. You bought him a metronome. Yeah, fuck off. You know what I mean? And so, like, he has this really great quote. Um, I didn't have time to look it up exactly. Um, but it's something, it's like something to the effect of, um, like, if you're telling a drummer not to play loud or soft, he's like, loud? That's what these drums fucking do. Like they play loud, they play soft. That's what they do. That's part of what this instrument is. Did you go to a piano player and tell him not to play the low keys or the high keys? And so that that kind of drummer first, like that kind of like, well, yeah, man, like if you can take your saxophone and go out into fucking outer space – and the rest of the band can hold it down while you do that. Why can't y'all hold it down while I fucking go out? And mm. and no one really did that before him. Okay. And that's why Tony Williams is such a big deal. That's why Tony Williams inspired like all of the great drummers of like the late seventies and into the eighties who defined the studio scene mm-hmm. of the eighties, who then defined the next decades of pop music and whatnot. Tony Williams is their like numero uno. They're like he's why I play the drums, you know. Um, so he's really he sounds like the kind of person, obviously, but like the kind of thing, the kind of event that happens in a space where afterwards it everyone just does that. Kind and of. So you don't really know why it's such an important inflection point yes. unless you were like experiencing it before and after. Or have a lot of knowledge about it. That that is the exact. That's exactly right. Gotcha. That's exactly right. And that's how that's how like Herbie Hancock describes it. You know, that's how people will describe, you know. And so I feel so there's a few drummers that I sort of feel across genres that sort of fit this kind of thing, you know, um, this kind of like, fuck you, man, drums. And Tony Williams is one. Um, Stuart Copeland is another one to me. Um, Dave Lombardo is another one. Mm. Um, and, and Joey Jordison. I feel like Joey Jordison is that is closer to the Tony Williams ethos and whatnot than Stuart Copeland and even Dave Lombardo. Um, and so, but so this is the thing though, right? Um, so there's sort of a double edged sword to that approach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because you were in a band with me while I was trying to do shit like this. <laughs> um, so for that approach to work, there's a few things that have to happen. There are some prerequisites. Yeah. It's got to make sense with the vibe of the music, whatever that is, right? Like 
Joey Jordanson's chops and everything would not have made sense in it would it wouldn't have worked in Pantera, right? It wouldn't have worked in you know what I mean? Or yeah. or whatever. I don't know. Any number of other bands. Yeah. I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that Joey couldn't have made Pantera music work if he chose to. That's not what I'm saying. Right. I'm saying like, you know. Um the slipknot music that he made. Yeah, like what what Slipknot like Slipknot's music requires something different than Pantera's music or Led Zeppelin's music or whatever. Yeah. Um I'm not claiming that he couldn't, you know, or whatever. Anyway, that's whatever. So it's gotta fit the vibe of the music. The other thing is that the rest of the band has to be ungodly good. Right? The rest of the band has to be so on top of everything. Um because when you go out in the outer space, they gotta like hold their ground and not get lost. Right. Okay. Um, it's a good point. And so that's sort of like, because I sent you those like two, those two like examples, right? I sent you like that, that like clip of like the blistering from the live record, um, which if you want to hear, or the blister exists. Blister exists. Yeah. yeah. If you want to hear like Joey Jordison, like full clip Joey Jordison, listen to that, that live album, the, the nine live, this what's in here somewhere. Yeah. This one. Listen to that. Um, so there's like a moment around the 345 mark where it's like building into the last chorus and he goes full morbid on the double bass. Okay. Like it's not, it's dynamically inappropriate. Okay. (laughs) You can't be doing that. It's not what you should do. It's not what you should do. It's where you should be building, right? Your double bass is your full, like your full tilt, right? You know? Um, and it's not what he plays on the record. If you were a lesser musician in a band with him, you would think that that he's in a different part of the song if you didn't trust him. <laughs> you know? And right. so and so there to me, there's like a similar parallel with how Tony Williams plays a lot. Um and the example I sent you was like that the ESP mm-hmm. off of the Miles Davis Quintet album, ESP, the title track. And so at the end of it, you know, because you know, jazz music, oh, we play the head, da 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 and then we solo and shit, and then we play the head again. Normally, you would play the intro and outro head pretty pretty straight ahead, okay? But if you listen to the way, and he, he, the first head, he does kind of play it, more or less, kind of straight ahead, you know? But then the second one, he's dropping in and out, and it's all fucking weird, it feels janky and shit, and... If you were, if you weren't Miles Davis or Wayne Shorter, Ron Carter, Herbie Hancock, like some of the best musicians who ever lived, and you didn't trust him, you'd be like, this motherfucker doesn't know where we're at. That's what you would think. Right. And so those things that you may seem dynamically inappropriate, right? Like they're, they're things that not every drummer can get away with, right? Every drummer can get away with like hi hat on the verse and, ride on the chorus and you know every drummer can get away with that right and you know but those things that they're they're sort of like like they, they they break the rules they're not what you're supposed to do and because of those those guys being the specific geniuses that they are they can get away with it and man is it exciting and uh so that's sort of like my thesis <laughs> on why Joey Jordison is the modern Tony Williams, the closest thing that we have to a modern Tony Williams. Um, I'll buy that. And so 
actually, and so there's one other point, and this is really important. Sorry, for all that to work, right? That what I'm talking about, like all yep. that outplaying and stuff like that. What's the other thing that the drummer has to do? The drummer has to really know the fucking songs. He has to really sure. know the riffs, you know, or he has to really know the tune, right? Which Tony did. Um, and Joey did. Why did Joey know the fucking songs? Because he wrote them. Wrote them. <laughs> not, not something that everyone, that I, I didn't really understand until a few <clears throat> years ago that like, oh, what do you, like Joey and Paul wrote almost all of it. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. So of course he like can fucking stretch the fuck out and do what he wants to because he knows those riffs in his bones because he wrote them. Because they're from his bones. Yeah, yeah they, obviously. Yeah, yeah. That's and, wild, yeah. And so, um, but yeah, man, listen to that. If you want to understand what a fucking boss fucking Joey Jordison is, listen to that live record and just consider that there's eight other motherfuckers running around on stage. And this motherfucker has the balls to be like, oh, fuck it. Drums. There was one part that I listened to some more of it on the way over here, and uh, it got to the nameless eventually. Yeah. And so the drum break in there, the dun, 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 dun. so it's, that that part is just drums and percussion playing. Mm-hmm. And you could almost feel like percussion was warning because they're like what two percussionists, right? Right. They they were wanting to like rush it super bad. Okay. okay. And you could almost feel Joey going like back here you son of a <laughs> like keeping, keeping everything in line enough so that everyone else I think knew what to do. it was like very much a conductor's yeah maybe it wasn't intentional maybe I'm just reading into it but that's what maybe. it felt like was going on yeah like um I learned a little historical tidbit that I didn't know which was that while Machine Head was recording the Burning Red at Indigo Ranch with Ross Robinson, that overlapped with while Slipknot was recording their self-titled album. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of like mutual hanging out, you know, like like Joey and and Clown and some other people are in the vocal booth while Rob's doing vocals for Nothing Left and and shit like that, mm-hmm. you know. But he he was talking about how it seemed pretty clear. Rob was talking about it seemed pretty clear to him that like. Oh, okay. Joey and Sean, they run this shit. <laughs> They're the bosses of this band, you know? Right. He was also talking about how Joey was sober, like, the entire making of the album and, like, their entire first few touring cycles that they did with them and stuff like that, which kind of surprised me hmm. because the drumming on that album does not that, – that drumming sounds like cocaine to me. That drumming does not sound like sober. And I don't know. Maybe he was coked out by volume three. Who knows? I don't know. Huh. Whatever it took to make that sound, it was do it. <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, like it, it was his legacy is, I mean, shit, dude, what a fucking legacy, you know, the yeah. impact that he made. So uh, he's going to be remembered forever and he deserves it. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Were you ever into the murder dolls by chance? No, I never listened to like a note that they played. I didn't either. You know, it's but, so weird. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't have any animosity towards them. Absolutely just not. Never did. Yeah, what I thought was really interesting. So here, here's like a thing that I do think is really interesting about like the other shit that Joey did, uh-huh. right? Because if he, all he did was Slipknot, that'd be enough, right? Uh, uh, other thing is, I don't really know much about else what he, what else he did. Oh, okay. Besides the Murder Dolls, I know that was his like his baby there, but right, yeah, because he like he like played guitar in it, yeah, right, and so he was behind. He wasn't. 
you know, he could move around and jump finally. Uh, what every drummer dreams about doing. Instead of just spinning around. Instead of just spinning. And, uh-huh. like, like normal drummers do. So he, so a thing that he like did that really not, it's, it's super common now for, for drummers to sort of like, you know, excuse me, like, oh, so-and-so couldn't made a tour. So this person's going to fill in. Yeah. That's yeah. super. I see that happening a lot. Yeah. It's super common now. I don't feel like it was that common back in the nineties and the early two thousands, but Joey did it a lot. Huh. So like Satyricon. Okay, like one of my favorite bands of all time, black metal, like Norwegian black metal. Um, OG, they like their drummer had a trouble, had trouble getting a, a visa or something. And he like sat in and did a tour, did, did one, did like a, a, a club tour or something with them. Okay, Satyricon's music ain't easy, dude. And so, like, that's insane. Right. He toured with Korn. You know, at one point after David Silveria left, I th- he did some shows with Rob Zombie, I believe. He might have done a full-blown tour with Rob Zombie as well, mm-hmm. you know, um, on like one of these shows down in Australia or something, like a big day out or maybe a Reading. I don't know. One of these big festivals, like Lars wasn't able to to play in Metallica for some reason, like the only Metallica show he's ever missed. It was soon after at the time. <sighs> it was after that. He was probably still soon after. He's still, Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, so they got like a whole bunch of drummers to like rotate in to like play different Metallica songs and stuff, you oh, that's know? Cool. Yeah. Um, but Joey played like most of them because like, they're like, Hey, can you do this one too? Because he could. And he could. And they were like, this is good. This guy's good enough. <laughs> you know, I remember seeing an interview with Dave McLean from like Machine Head because he's like, he's a, he's an incredible guitar player too. He wrote, he wrote a lot of Machine Head riffs, Yeah. you know? And he was like, yeah, man, I was so fucking upset because I, I, I didn't – like by the time I heard that they needed someone to do that, like because he was there. He was playing. You know, he's like, I got to like the thing and they, they'd already like settled into Joey, you know. <laughs> um, and I'm like, man, that Too sucks. Too late for Dave. That sucks. Um, but yeah, so there's this old like grainy fucking YouTube footage from like 15 years ago or whatever of like Joey and his mask and shit playing on Lars's kit and like oh, man. Rip- and like ripping through every you know what I mean. And so like he played with Corn, he played with Rob Zombie, he played with Metallica, he played with fucking Satyricon. Okay, come on, dude. That's a, no, there's not even that many people that even could do that. Right. Let alone had the chance to because like i mean satiricon aside i assume they're far more technical than i really know because i just don't know their music that well but everyone else you listed there not the most technical drum parts in that existence. is not true but well my point though is that you have to be able to you have to be able to hit a lot of styles yeah very well right and nail them right and i think that's what he actually yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's yeah. I think that's it. And I think I'm not saying he played fucking Dragula and it was just boom, boom, doom, 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 or you know whatever. Because <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> um, I, I would hope not. Yeah, and so so yeah, like I, I that's just the thing that is like really blows my mind and really and I don't I didn't really realize it, but like you know because Dave Lombardo was a huge, a huge influence on me and and I think. It's like a double-edged sword because I was really into Decade of Aggression, that live Slayer record. And Dave doesn't play what he plays on the records. And that record is sloppy as fuck. But, man, it has a vibe to it. 
And so I was like, yeah, man. So, so I for I'm kind of a sloppy drummer because of that, you know, <laughs> like, you know, you play with me. I didn't. There's a lot of drummers. There's a lot of metal drummers. And what they do is like, this is the part and this is what I play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time they they shoot for you know that Neil that Neil Peart school of doing it like here's the here's the perfect performance and I will strive to do it this way every time. Right. That's not what I did. No, it's not. <laughs> for for better and worse. Right. <laughs> you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Blame Dave. <laughs> blame Joey. <laughs> so. But yeah. So you you will be missed because uh, I know that there was so much so much more that you had had to give. Yep. So too young. Okay, so that's the end of our Joey our Joey tribute. All right, Joey tribute, Ani. <laughs> Did you just make a Mark Tremonti joke? Is that what that? No, was? I made a Friends joke. Oh, there it is. But also. You know that Mark Tremonti is like weirdly this modern day sort of guitar hero? I did know that. Isn't that just so weird to me? It is a little weird. But so I I know this is like tangent real quick Get about it. Mark Tremonti. <laughs> Please. Uh but yeah, once I realized that, I was like, oh, what the hell is he even doing that he's gonna be lauded as this guitar god these days? And I wouldn't listen to some of his like solo albums. Tremonti is the band. Mm-hmm. And then he's got I guess he's still an Alter Bridge and then maybe some other band. It's like he's he's fucking good and then I so I went back the other day I used to really be into my own prison like back in high school it was a solid record it was a solid it's a pretty solid record it doesn't hold up as well as I would have hoped but there's still some solid shit on that album great riffs primarily yeah fantastic riffs in a weird way that only I don't know if this is gonna make sense to you but I mean only the way that the other only other guitarist who writes riffs like this is uh, the dude from CKY I can't think of his name Chad Ginsburg, I think I have no idea. They write really weird, intricate riffs that are very interesting at all times, but they're not super hard. They just sound really good. Mm. But they're very melodically interesting all the time. And that's what that's what Tremonti's really, really good at. And he he can like shred and stuff, sure. But right. the the really interesting riffs that he writes, and he's done it since that first album, that first Creed album. Just that's really not, weird. That's not that's not easy to do. No, it's like, very, I think it's very hard to do. It it's it's easy to write riffs that that no one can sing along to yeah you know but writing a riff that's good that is unique and also memorable yeah that's motherfucking impossible almost dude from disturbed also very good at that very good riff i feel man i really liked that i like the second disturbed record you know i like a lot of their albums weirdly did did, they're a good band they got real samey to me after I guess the third one. They're not very different. Okay. Throughout. All right. <laughs> so I'm not wrong no, in that you're assessment. Absolutely correct. Okay. Okay. No, no, you're right on the money there. Okay. But, but the thing that they do, they do really well, and it's not it's not different though. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's like an ACDC approach of like yeah, like this is yeah, yeah, like <laughs> sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I guess that's not too different. <laughs> yeah, the thing, I just, I can't, I can't get over the the album version of Down with the Sickness of like, don't do it again, mommy, and, and all that. Fuck the album version. He does that live. Oh no! To, the, to this oh, day. Oh no! I didn't know that. I didn't either until like a couple of weeks ago, and I heard a live version of that. Oh no! 
And I got to that part and I realized what was happening. I was like, oh, is he going to do the thing? And he just did it verbatim. And I was like, <sighs> man, I guess, uh, I guess you really have some attachment to that uh, spiel there. I, I, go ahead, man. Do your That's, thing. That like, I mean, the whole like child abuse trope and not just new metal, but in 90s media overall, I feel like is its own subject. Hmm. Okay. So, and it, new I feel, metal for sure. It's all over. It's the all over place. it, man. Because, and 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 because it happened. Like Jonathan Davis was actually molested. Rob Flynn was actually molested. You know, I, I don't doubt that those things happened at all. And so it, it was just very. It, it is sounds very, like David Draymond was just just spanked, but I might be wrong. I'm sorry, David. I don't mean to piss on your trauma. I apologize. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I get, but I guess what I, what I'm getting at is that like like we watched like Forrest Gump the other night, which came out like '94, I think. Yes. Um. All, all like because there's the the character of Jenny, right? And like all Forrest has to say is that like her dad was real affectionate and always hugging and kissing her. Oh, just the, yeah. When he's talking about the way he saw it, mm-hmm. basically, that's yeah. all he had to say. They never show. They never even show Jenny and her dad in the same frame. They show him coming out of the house, something, 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 girl, and then they run out in the field and some, something, make me a bird, make me fly away. Yeah. They never actually show even show them in the same frame. But just with those few lines, you as you as the audience member at the time knew like, oh, okay, well, well, he's molesting his daughter, right. To me, that right there in itself says something about how prevalent that was, at least in media, that it was like, oh, okay. Like, you didn't have to explain it. It was just like, oh, yeah, okay, he sexually abused his daughter. Okay. You know, and Mm. to me, that almost sort of, like, points to, like, why was that so understandable? Because... Because ten years prior, people were getting their shit like the eighty in the eighties. People were getting their shit molested out of them, you know. And so, yeah, that was the sort of thing for a long time. Was just like it was tolerated and unspoken. Right. I, I remember hearing some random so. tidbit. It's terrible about like in the early eighties. Um, that the way like the laws were structured and the way the things like that that like judges would actually like okay, well, I know that this guy sexually abused his, his kids, but if we put him in jail, um, it's going to cost us more in welfare to take care of the family than it would if he was working. So just right. don't do it again. Like there were those kind of incentives <clears throat> of like, like no, no, doesn't matter that like wife and kids are in a situation where they are terrified and being abused and damaged. Yeah. Um, and so, but yeah, I almost feel like that is like its own. It's its own subject for a for, for sure, <laughs> or or just like the the like the faux because like that was the thing, right? Is that that those sort of became like the you know the the the, the, the tropes of the new metal genre, and then it sort of at times seemed like well, everyone's got to pretend they were molested, like everyone's got to have a song about being molested. <laughs> or, I mean, it really did feel that way, strangely. You know, did Godsmack? I feel like Godsmack might have done it. I don't know, and, and then broke the camel's back. 
perhaps. I feel like if anyone did that, it was Godsmack, but I don't know. I can't remember. Sure. Uh, whatever they did, I just know that they did it alone and they did it away from someone else. You know, <laughs> go away, keep away, stay away, stand alone. <laughs> I, I can't even. That's yeah. What more is there to say? Yeah, and then all like, and then and then the jets take off. Then the navy, join the navy. <laughs> like, oh no, <laughs> that did happen. <laughs> I must have seen that commercial 38 million fucking times. <laughs> Stand alone. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was on the Scorpion King soundtrack, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I just transported back to like 2003 for a minute. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, like, I don't know, man. I feel like that's sort of like its own. Because I, I, I think you're right. Like, that's sort of like what kind of made New Metal terminate. Like, kind of, I think one of the factors that kind of went into its sort of implosion was like you know uh it, there was yeah there was a weirdly large that happened frequently mm-hmm. strangely i and and whether that's a symptom of it just being that rampant i don't know yeah or if it was like oh we can write about this let's just write about this right I, yeah i, I don't know yeah because i i never experienced and so i mean i we wrote a song about it you know, that's warmth is about child abuse, but I didn't write it in a, I didn't write it in a first person point of view. I wrote right. it as like I'm gonna write this fucked up story. Right, right. But it still was like, well, that's 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 what you write about if you're if you're in a metal band in fucking in 2003. <laughs> that that is kind of what it felt like at the time. You know, like, we need to write about some real shit. Right, right. And I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe maybe that's like I I feel like maybe that's the simplest answer. Right, is that. We were, because I do remember saying that to myself. I do remember, like, want, you know, okay, well, to me, what this music represents is it is, it is lifting, it is looking at the dirt under the rug. It is, mm. it is facing the things you don't want to face. It is looking at the ugliest parts of yourself, of society, of your, of your relationships or whatever. Right. And what is the ugliest thing that you can imagine? And child abuse is, is right up there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe it's just a byproduct of that. I could see that, yeah. You know, because that was definitely the prevailing attitude right. at the time. Was like, put put the shittiest shit, right? In there. Yeah, like yeah. the most intense, um, you know, most intense perspective and and whatnot to try to put that forward, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I feel I feel like I want to I want to dive into that at one point, like explicitly of like, <laughs> you know new metal tropes or something i don't know i'm sure there are a number of good ones there yeah 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 so okay cool end of segment two (laughs) uh chick chick all right so the next thing we wanted to talk about today this was we've had this idea rolling around for like a month i think something like that yeah something like that right because we were just hanging out and we sort of just naturally started talking about uh we started talking about uh great southern train kill um, and then that got on to the subject of or volume three. I forget which one came up first. It was Southern Tranquil that came up was first. Okay. And so, and it was like, all right, like what, what happens, you know, when a, when a metal band or, or, you know, a rock band does their art album. Right. And, and so, yeah, so that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to riff on now. 
Yeah. So is it is it really an art album? Is it hated? Is it loved? Is it right? Yeah. So so is it seen as a turning point or or a dive off a cliff? Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. Because so that's like that was the sort of a thing that I ran into of like, well, how do you define an art album? So how yeah. how would you while I'm while I'm changing props, how would you define an art album? Ooh. Uh, well, the first thing I have written here is, to be clear, this is not a list of my favorite music. So there's there's that, I guess. Okay. Um, that doesn't really do anything for you there. Uh, I don't know. It's like, on the one hand, and, and some of the examples that I have bear this out, it's where a band finds, or an artist really, it doesn't have to be a band, finds sort of their explicitly creative voice in a way okay because in my mind and i think in a lot of the examples i have here it's generally more of a god how to describe it like creative is the only word that comes to mind but it's like you're you're just putting more emotion maybe is a way to go Mm-hmm. More, a little more personal, maybe more, more personal, more, more weirdness, more you're out of your comfort zone a little bit more, mm-hmm. more it's risks, yeah, taking risks, disparate sounds than what you're more accustomed to making, mm-hmm. sort of that that sort of thing, right? Yeah, so it's, I don't have a good definition, is what I'm fucking saying here. Uh, <laughs> so, what I sort of realized whenever I was sort of trying to like pin this down in my head is like there is sort of a difference. So, like, an art album, it has to sort of subvert the expectations of what the of what the fan base was expecting in some way. Yeah. And, and so because of that, it's typically not the first or even the second album. It's a third or – it's a third album or later. I guess that's – I guess that's another point is that usually it is, in my eyes, it's – the band has made – their first or second album, like you said, they've sort of done what they're going to do in that space mm-hmm. and they want to try something different. Yeah. They're tired of what they did maybe or they just have other ideas that they felt like didn't necessarily fit so we're going to do something different. Right. Right. It's a it's a pivot in it's some pivot. way often. And so – and I guess that – so to me, you know, like an album that, that fits this is, is, you know, Southern Trend Kill here. Yeah. Right. CDs look so pathetic on this, <laughs> but they work a lot better, don't they? They actually do. They're a little more balanced. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't. I don't have. I don't have Trenkill on vinyl. So, so here we are. Um, and yeah, and like, because I remember the experience of listening to this record, and the thing, the thing about this that is different than other Pantera records is that this really is a record. It really is like kind of a start to finish piece of music almost. Whereas other Pantera records are like collections of songs. Yeah. It's a journey in, in yeah. a way. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and, and so there are, I know we were talking about it, right there. So there are, there are things I, I listened to it. Like after our conversation, there are things that held up way better than I thought they would. Uh huh. But I don't know which one it is. It's either Living Through Me or I think it's Underground in America. One of those songs. It has some really cool moments in it, but there's some there's some like it's like, oh, y'all ran out of y'all ran out of riffs. Um 
this bridge is just a bunch of weird sounds. <laughs> um, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're, they're, it's like, is Phil mad about lesbians? What is going on? Like, one of the lyrics, lesbian loving accepted a right. Like, oh, right. You know, there's something. I, it's like, why are you yelling about lesbians, dude? <laughs> um, I have no idea what he says there. I don't know either. But but I guess, like, the thing was is that hearing this album, being 12 or 13 years old, whenever I heard it, um, I think it was technically 12, and it being one of the first new, like, I bought this album the day that it came out. I took it home and I put it on, the, you know, listened to it. Yeah. I think that this really defined what I would come to think a good metal record was and Mm. that it had to have this. It it wasn't good enough for it to just be like, here's a bunch of rad ass songs all in a row. Like it had to be epic in a sense, you know, like another, another defining aspect is like, it always feels like it has more substance than the stuff that, came before it right for, for better or worse i guess but yeah 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 because it, it like this album versus even like far beyond driven which already felt like it had to me anyway more substance than vulgar or cowboys uh in a weird way if if tonally if nothing else i'm gonna say yeah i and i and I, when i look back that's the thing is that this doesn't seem it depends on how you're looking at it, like how mm-hmm. much of a departure this seems from Far Beyond Driven, right? And I guess that like that's what's interesting is that like if you go from Vogue – because that's really it. Like the second album, it's like a rate of change, right? Right. So right. the difference between the second album and the first album determines the direction that the band is headed in, right? And is that that same direct – you know, they keep going along that direction – and Pantera kind of did for Far Beyond Driven. Like, Vulgar was more intense, harder, yeah. faster. And then Far Beyond Driven was more intense, harder, and faster than Vulgar. I guess I, guess I don't think of it as faster. I think of it as, as slower, if anything, really. Fuck, dude. Do you not, have you not heard Strength Beyond Strength? Have you not heard that song? I watched it twice. That song, I'm familiar. That, that's like the fastest song Pantera's ever played. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's like Good Friends and Bottle of Pills and all sorts of other weird, slow... It's true. Shit. It's true. But I, I th- guess that sticks in my mind more than than yeah. This is the opening. You know, whatever it is, like it. It's the yeah, fastest yeah. song. It's literally the fastest song. Um, <laughs> that in their entire catalog, like they never pl- they never play the skank beat that fast yeah. in any other thing. I think you're right. Um, and uh, but trend kill. It's like it's it somehow went. That's it, right? It went extreme in both directions. Because there were aspects of it that were like almost harder and more intense, yeah. you know. Because Suicide Note Part Suicide Note Part Two is maybe the most intense song that they've ever done, you know. And then the opening, you know, the way they open the record is extremely intense. But it also is like some of the softest stuff that they've ever done, right? So it was extreme in both directions. Maybe that's actually a really good point. Is that there tends to be a lot more dynamism. Yeah. On these sorts of albums. Yeah. Because I do feel like a lot of the examples that I have, and this one in particular also, like Cowboys from Hell, it starts in a particular way. And it's mm-hmm. weird in, in on certain axes, right? And then it gets to Vulgar, and it's like a little bit, it's still pretty straight ahead, all things considered. Right. And then as things go on, as time goes on, it gets to this album, and it's just like... Right. Yeah, like because really, 10s is fucking weird. 
13 steps to nowhere is weird, but that, but it's like 13 steps to nowhere is like this dark distorted version of psycho holiday in a weird way, you know, cause it yeah. has that same like sort of, you know what I mean? Um, flood, you know, floods is this amazing epic dark fucking things. So, and like, then the thing was like Pantera had sort of flirted with those, with those timbres and those vibes, but it was never like, here's, full songs here's what we would write if we were to write that vibe and into a song right Right. yeah right and so um i think that's why i think that's an element of why that one stands out to me and so pointing those things out brings up another one that we were talking about yes plow right so you mentioned i hadn't considered this one and then you mentioned it and the more that i think about it i think i agree with you yeah this to me is like one of the er examples of of the shit that we grew up with at the very least mm-hmm. of, of this happening. Because like, I remember this album came out and you, you bought it and brought it over to my house. Yeah. And we sat and listened to it like right. all, all the way through. Yeah, man. And it, it blew me away. It like kind of blew my mind. A yeah. Bit. And we like traded, we like passed the fucking lyrics around and shit like that. And we yeah. were like, God damn, their new mask looks creepy as fuck. <laughs> I think Justin even came by and he was like, man, I don't know about this. <laughs> he came by for a minute and he was like, what are you guys do? Oh, God, I'm out of here. <laughs> he, he was like, I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe that was, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't, he I might have said that, that about Iowa. I don't know. But anyway, but yeah, I had this very, I, I remember that. Like I bought it at, wherever I bought it, like block, probably Blockbuster Music in Baytown Ooh, in the mall. Yeah, wow. And then like, I'm going to go over to Robert's house because he has the good speakers. We're going to sit there in his fucking room and listen to this shit. Yeah. You know, back in the old days. Uh, yeah, I just remember being absolutely floored by, like, what, like, I hear Slipknot in here, but this ain't the Slipknot that I'm accustomed to. Right, because the first album is, like, this cathartic purge of, like, everything they had ever experienced and everything they had ever listened to. It's just all in there. Yeah, yeah. And then Iowa is this just dark nasty mess um and i mean that in the absolute best way yeah um it's a good dark nasty mess yeah it is it's it has a very it it feels like that album when you listen to it even now it feels like it feels a little grimy yeah yeah, you know um in the best way in the absolute best way so that's but like i was saying right like that establishes the trajectory right Mm -hmm. which i have to add them choosing to make iowa when they did was I feel like I feel like that was hugely influential. I feel like that was a big sort of watershed moment, you know, and I feel like that you could even maybe argue that that like helped define the decade to come of what metal in America would be because they, this is what that is where they used blast beats full on in songs they're instrumental parts of songs and people equal shit and stuff like that you know yeah um interestingly enough system of a down toxicity came out around this time and blast beats are featured prominently in one of the songs on toxicity as well true um john doleman does not often get that cred that he rightfully deserves um and so uh but speaking of volume three though if they were going to continue on that trajectory, then it would be like, all right, well, how do you get nastier and darker than that? Right. Mm-hmm. And so what's interesting is that they kind of did 
what Pantera did, where they went more extreme in both yeah. directions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because there's songs like 3 Nil where the blast beat is, it's like, oh, this is the beat of the song. Like, it's not just a way, it's not just an effect, right? Right, right. Because that, that's sort of like like early blast beat stuff, like um, like early Napalm Death and stuff like that. Like, it was, it was like, those early guys, they were just sort of going like as fast as they could. Like, it, it was a way to create a chaotic sound. It was almost like doing a, a whole note. You know what I mean? It didn't have tempo and time. You know, Pete Sandoval and Terrorizer was the first guy who was also became the drummer of Morbid Angel was the first person right. to add like, you know, no, this is, you know, like, oh, no, it's a subdivision. Right. You know, it's, you know what I mean? It's a more structured thing as opposed to just. Right. Like it's a, it's a rhythm. It's a tempo. You know what I mean? It has tempo to it. Right. And so, you know, the song three nil, like, it's like, well, that's, that's the fucking beat to that song, you know? Um, but then they also have these legit fucking ballads. Yeah. On this album. They have there's legit guitar solos, which I don't know if you remember the late 90s, but guitar solos were not okay for a while there. No, that was like, yeah, exactly. That was one of the things about that album that, because at the time, I think I was probably still, what year was this? 2003 or four? I was almost certainly still in a headspace. Four. Of like, holy shit, bands are like this this band did a guitar solo that's fucking cool right because it just didn't happen very much and the ones that they did and the way that they did them and the way that i knew that they could play up to that point made it all the more mind-blowing right right because i was like these guys did iowa just a minute ago and that's just like the heaviest fucking chunky riffs and that's it right and then they busted out all these solos and they were right. like bizarre and but like very technically proficient right and the, and they're also like sort of in the how to say it like in the they're in the tradition they're in the language you know what i mean like it it they they they're they're sort of like okay well you have listened to kirk hammett solos you've listened to all these other solos and and i can hear how you're taking that and turning left with it instead of right but instead of doing it over the course of like an entire bridge you're doing it in one measure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it, they came across more as riffs, really, mm-hmm. than than solos at times, uh, which was in itself like a weird, like nobody oh, fucking right. did that, right? It's very strange. But it really established it. It really established because everyone knew, like, oh, well, you know, the drummer's really good, but people didn't really know that, like, Mick and Jim were legit, legit guitarists. And that was sort of like the time when. You, that if you played a solo, all all of a sudden people started noticing, and they were like, "Oh, you're a real good." Like there was some yeah, aspect of that, you know, like right. like they probably had an article about it in Guitar World. I don't remember for sure, <laughs> probably. but that's probably the case. Like I remember that was around the time that whenever uh, y'all would do solos, like maybe within a, a two years of this or a year or two of this, when y'all would do solos, I would start to see kids do this stuff. <laughs> really? Yeah. <sighs> I guess I was playing the solo, so I didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know. Oh, oh boy. Um, but I feel like that was like a thing that like came out of the core scene or something like that. Like just totally, some, totally. something that we just didn't get. And, and like now that we're talking about this a little bit, and I now that I've made this wonderful point, uh, I feel like a lot of the music that came afterwards with like bands that we played with, for example, mm-hmm. or a lot of bands that I didn't really listen to played like that. Like they made those into riffs. 
where it's like, here's just this weird little lead thing. It's going to be a riff. It's going to be a one-off thing. And I don't, mm. I don't know that that's where that came from. I don't think it is. Exactly, but I feel like that's the same sort of thing. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. I think, I think that a lot of the bands that we started to play with were coming out of the, the metalcore scene, which we were very yeah. ignorant of. Totally, totally. Um, and... But that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah. But uh. But yeah. So I think I would definitely consider this. The, these are, these are definite art albums. You know. So um, yeah. I'm sure. gonna I'm gonna throw another contender that I feel is a definite. I feel like it's gonna be another slam dunk. Okay. Of an art album. Throw your hat in the ring there. Okay. You tell me what you think. This is on my list. Wonderful. Nice. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Actually, hang on. Um. It's on my list with a bunch of question marks after it. Because Nine Inch Nails, in general, is just such like a dynamic band from album to album that I really had a hard time figuring out where to draw this line. But consider the trajectory. Ex- like that, That's why I ended up with this one. Right. Like you, We think of them as such a dynamic band because we're, it's hard for us to not see their entire career. Yeah. But think of, think of pre-Hate Machine. Right. And well, then I mean, think even- of Broken. Oh, it's darker. It's more intense. Think of right. downward spiral in comparison to broken. Exactly. And then this. Exactly. Here's this like sprawling fucking epic double album. Right. But it's like, even weirder and nastier and darker. Right. And it's like, why are you making me like all this light shit, Trent? <laughs> why are you making La Mer? What do you what, is it, what do you mean? I want to fuck like an animal. I don't want to learn French. <laughs> can't do those in the same class it's it's impossible (laughs) good lord that's that's espanol my bad uh yeah i for this for the same reason for the trajectory primarily is why i put this on there and also it kind of goes it goes sort of it goes extreme it's not this it goes extreme in multiple directions right yeah um it doesn't have to be both it can be multiple right sure right 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 so I don't, I don't, I, I mean, I, I will say I'm not as familiar with this. Like I didn't listen to this one nearly as much as a lot of other albums mm-hmm. of theirs. So I don't have a whole hell of a lot to say about it other than in my mind, that is where it lives. I, I remember being slightly challenged by it. Yeah. But, oh, for sure. But I remember really, really liking it. Um, I remember uh, when this came or around the time it came out, we went on an art club field trip. Mm. And that is when I bought this album at like Sam Goody or some shit. Nice. Came back to school with it, and people were like, "Oh, you got the fucking fragile? That's cool, man." Uh, and then I went home and listened to it. And I was like, "Oh, this is weird." Right, 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 right. What is the first few tracks on this even? Oh, of course, you can't just give me the god. Oh, there they are. <laughs> I don't um... want to know which Halo it is, Trent. <laughs> I want to know what goddamn songs are on it. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, the day the world went away, the frail, the wretched. We're in this together now. Oh, these are right. all so good. Oh, these are all so good. I haven't listened to this album in quite a while. Oh, and Complication. That's one of the coolest instrumental tracks ever. Um, yeah, man, this album's so fucking good. Um, an interesting tidbit to me is that we saw Slipknot in 99 play at the Eyeball, which was a small-ass venue. This was one of their first – this was their first tour I saw them on after uh, Oslo. So, yeah, this wouldn't have been in 99. This would have been in spring of 2000. And so, um, and anyway, Corey fucking talked about this record. <laughs> he talked about the fragile, like, like in between songs. Yes. 
Like oh. in, the, in between songs, he was like, y'all need to go get this record because it's one of the best fucking records I've ever heard. Wow. <laughs> so. Right on. Yeah, man. I saw them on this tour and it was fucking, it was amazing. It actually greatly inspired, seeing them on this tour and how everyone had a mic in front of them mm-hmm. greatly inspired. Like it made me sort of, it really inspired me for the All Severed stuff that we did later. Or it made me really feel like whenever we stumbled into that, it's like, this is right. Because sure. I, re- I remember how I felt watching Nine Inch Nails play. And, you know, whenever they, you know, do like Terrible Lie or whatever. And like yeah. this whole yeah. everyone on stage is screaming at you. And you it's a, it's a different level of feeling assaulted. Yeah. You know? Um, That's a great point. And so once we sort of tapped into that, it was like, this is, this is the right, this, this is the way, you know, it's kind of thing. Be. So I'm going to add one more out here. Okay. Just on the topic of like one band mentioning another band's album on stage, right? Okay. Okay. So, I like this through line. So um, in May of 1996, Great Southern Tranquil came out. In June of 1996... This came out. Okay. In July of 1996, I saw my first concert ever, which was Pantera and White Zombie. And for the month of, you know, and, and up till that point in July, I was like, God damn, Tranquil's an amazing record. And, and from June to July, from this album coming out until me seeing that Pantera show, I was like, this, lo- this new Metallica album is also amazing. This oh, is an amazing record. I think I know where this is going. <laughs> And then somewhere halfway through the set, in between, you know, drunk, being drunk and heroin overdose, Phil says, you know, y'all are goddamn lucky to have a band like Pantera come out and make a good fucking record like Great Southern Tranquil and not that piece of shit like Load. And it was very strange for me because I was, as a 12 year old, I've never felt like. I've never felt a physiological change like that happen in my body. You felt attacked. I did not feel attacked. No? I did not. Because in that moment, every cell in my body understood. It's like, you're right. That album (laughs) does suck. (laughs) Oh, you saw the light is what happened. I saw the light. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Phil... Phil, uh, yeah, Phil had, he called me home. And so, and then me and everyone else in this arena just screamed as loud as we could because... We all agreed that the Metallica album sucked. Now, man, I don't agree with that. I think this is a great album. Okay. In retrospect, I think this is a great album. But I'm only, I'm really just telling that story to just sort of, you know, paint the picture of how polarizing this album was oh, in the metal community when it came out. Absolutely. There are some great songs on here. Yeah. There's there's just so many songs on there that not all of them can be great because this was back in the day when you like filled the CD up. <laughs> I mean until the Until It Sleeps single was the first compact disc that I bought. There you go. Yeah, uh, Bleeding Me, Outlaw Torn are uh, yeah. fucking awesome songs. Yeah, dude, I love the house that Jack built. I love that. I love King Nothing. I love Mama Said. I think that's an incredible song. Um, right on. But yeah, so but but. Now, this is kind of tricky, right? Because, like, Metallica in their 
defying of expectations because it could be argued that like every every like other album or every third album they do is somehow an art album okay <laughs> because of how they like just fucking like well i don't know what people want but this is what they're gonna get <laughs> <laughs> this is where we're at in our own heads right now which i mean kind of is what you should be doing as an artist anyway right like there were there are og motherfuckers they're like dude ride the lightning is sellout album because they have acoustic guitar <laughs> Like there, there, there were people who thought that yeah, those people yeah. really exist. Totally, totally. You know, kill them all, die hard to this yeah. fucking day, which is such a weird. Right? They're like, there's only there's only two albums that ever existed, kill them all and bonded by blood. <laughs> um, well, so this brings up another point about this whole concept here, is that does an art album have to be a positive thing mm. in, in an artist catalog? Mm. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Because I know that to a lot of people, this is not a positive thing. But you know what was really shocking to me to find out? Because in our generation, you know, the people that we talked to, like the people who were just a little bit older than us, this was like the jump the shark moment. You know, uh-huh. this was like Metallica, Metallica, oh, they chose alternative. Right. You know, they sold out, blah, 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 because they cut their hair and, you know, smoke oh, right. cigars now. I like forgot pe- that that was a whole thing. People were really upset that they cut their hair. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. really, really, really upset. Yeah. And the other thing that might not be super clear right now is that at the time, the 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 basically the music press was making a lot of money by selling magazines, by selling this idea of alternative versus metal, and stuff like that. Like that was a very that was a serious trope. Pantera bought into that. Like that this whole album. This whole Pantera album is about like the supposed victimization of metal yeah. to pop music, which is kind of bullshit. It's still a great album, though. Um, it can be both. It can be both, you know. Uh, and so Metallica putting out this kind of album that's definitely like not like traditionally metal, and and this is another thing I think that is not real under really really well understood is that um hold on there's two things i got in my my thought queue here so one of the things is that um let me back up a little bit the way that we feel about load there's a lot of people that felt that way about the black album oh totally absolutely and i didn't really understand that till a few years ago and it kind of blew my mind yeah because the black album was like my entry point into heavy music yeah, I think same in some ways, yeah. And so, you know. It was the second CD I ever bought. There you go. So there you go. And so for people to be like, oh, the Black Album is like this, it's a piece of garbage. It's it, it Bon Jovi to me or whatever. It's Bob Rock, man. Yeah, like, you know, <laughs> just, to, just to sort of like dismiss it as like pop music and stuff like that, which it's like, oh, you know, like they're going to be playing, like when I went and saw them a few years ago play like NRG, it's like, oh, they're playing, you know, they're going to be playing a lot of their, a lot of their crap stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean crap? It's like, oh, like sad but true and, you know, all that garbage. I was like, yeah. The fuck? I thought, I thought, I thought that their garbage was on the next record. Like, <laughs> I'm so confused by where the Metallica, gar- where is Metallica hiding their garbage? You know? So there's that thing. But then the other thing I wanted to throw out there was that that, that album changed like a lot of thrash metal bands tried to follow Metallica down that rabbit hole uh-huh. and no one could follow them down this one. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think anyone else really tried. I, I don't think they could, you know, 
if they want like like testament could not make a good record like this because this is i i do you not think this is a good record this is important you don't i think it's got some good songs on it okay i don't listen to this album okay <laughs> like so okay i listen to snm quite a bit okay and that has a fair number of these songs mm-hmm. because at the time they were still kind of coming off these albums Right. It was like 2001 or something like that. I think Reload is a bad album. I think Load is a good album, to clarify. Okay, okay. That's a, that's an interesting point. I'll, I mean, I haven't listened to these albums in a very long time either. So I'm going to have to go so a few do a years little bit ago, of rehash on these. A few years ago, I was like, I'm going to listen to the entire Metallica discography mm-hmm. in order. And just fuck it, right? Um, Side note, we could probably do a whole fucking podcast. I could do so many. <laughs> okay. Um, And so... I didn't give up. I didn't feel like giving up when I got to load. Okay. I was like, this, I was like, this is better than I remember. There's some cool songs on here, you know, and every now and then you get to one like, doesn't like, oh, that one didn't have his whatever, uh-huh. but man, but the ones around it, oh, it's so cool. Reload. I almost gave up the endeavor. Like I got through kill them all, ride the lighting, all of them. I got to reload. I was like, man, this is a bad idea. Um, you know, SNM was fine. There's that's real novel and fun to listen to. You know, um, it's, it's a good spread, I think. Yeah, and it's really it's 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 fun. It's really interesting to listen to. Um, I liked listening to Saint Anger because it's interesting. Um, it is that, and so I feel like a lot of I feel like some of the things that people bitch about at, about it are overblown a little bit. But um, someone has someone has re-recorded the entirety of Saint Anger. And put it on YouTube. Uh huh. It's not much better, <laughs> <laughs> but it is. It is. It sounds sonically. Yeah. It, it, there's improvement there. Yeah. It's and, very weird, but and, yeah. You know, I enjoyed listening to it. I enjoyed listening to the Lou record, the Lou Reed record they did, Lulu, which I guess that's like that's that, that one's reviled. That's the definitive art record of like, I know that people are not going to like this. Yeah. People but, hate that fucking But album. we really want to do this. And it's interesting. Like, it's not like what I'm going to listen to while I'm like driving around and shit, you know? But it, it was interesting to listen to and it felt like something they wanted to do. And it's like, fuck yeah, man. Do do that. You know? Yeah. Um, so, like, So I think, I think what's happening here is that we're much like uh, – the Nine Inch Nails, we're sort of determining that it's very hard to pin down which of Metallica's albums is an art album. Yeah, well, Meta- Metallica is their own thing. Their own thing, because... Well, so I, I need to say that I have on this list Metallica, Garage Days, or St. Anger as my picks. Interesting. Because any of this shit is so fucking different than... Than what they were doing. And I, yeah. I feel like the genius of Metallica is that they... I've said this a billion times, but it's that they make albums for themselves. Like they make the album they want to make. I think that's probably correct. And then they play concerts for their fans. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause they've never done like what Iron Maiden does or what Iron Maiden did at one point, which was like, no, we just wrote this new record and we're really excited about. It, so I was just going to fucking hear mm-hmm. <laughs> run to the, run to those Hills. <laughs> um, but like they 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 like they never do a concert where they're like 
where they don't play master puppets or don't play Inner right. Man or don't play set. You know what I mean? Like they're right. like, yeah, man, we we know that's we know y'all love that shit. Like we're, we're here to fuck. We're here for y'all to have a great fucking time. Exactly. We know why you came to see us. Yeah. Right, and we know that you might you might really like the new record, but we know that you like all the other records too. So here we fucking you know what I mean? And they've yeah. and I, I think that is the real secret. One of the many secrets of them maintaining the success and the sort of the the vibrancy that they've maintained at the level they've been at, that they still feel inspired, they still feel excited to do it because they're making the records they want to make. Yeah, I you can know? see that. They're not trying to make the Black Album again and again and again and again and again, you know? They're right. making what they're excited to make and letting it be whatever it is. But then when they play concerts, they're like, well, fuck, man, yeah, 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 do, 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 you know? Yeah, yep, yep, so. yep. So anyway, yeah, very weird situation with. The, I mean, yeah. and, and it really, you, it's from the Black Album on, right? Like, because everything before that is pretty. It, it, there's linear. Yeah, it's a, it's a linear it, progression. It feels and, linear, yeah. Versus in the '90s, it just went buck wild. It was, it was like just what kind of Metallica album are you gonna get? Spin that motherfucking top, you know? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I remember like lots of people. There were some people who 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 weren't like who were into hard rock or heavy ish music but weren't like metal heads mm-hmm. who were really excited when St. Aaron came out they're like dude Metallica's hard again huh and um and I remember listening okay. to it and at the time well at the time though it was hard for me to really gauge because I was at that specific sliver in time was when I wasn't really listening to heavy music uh-huh. there was like a, a from like 2002 to 2003 or 4 like I was like I was only listening to like jazz and latin music um to try to like understand that language and whatnot mm-hmm. um so but yeah i have written down here like every third metallica record somehow <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> so, acceptable um all right so what, what what's one that you got uh so one that i got that i that came up in our conversation as well was uh uh Crack the Sky by Mastodon. Yeah, which is to me in the in the pantheon of music that I love is this is like one of the definitive examples of this okay. happening because you had you had Remission which was just sludge metal, you had Blood Mountain which was still kind of just sludge metal. Mhm. I'm, I'm sorry, you had Leviathan first. Mhm. Which was still just sludge metal. And then Blood Mountain sort of sort of branched out a little bit. It's very much in the same Pantera vein okay. of this happening whereas you start out pretty pretty thin and you just at some point at this point you go branch right way out and then this album came out and it was immediately obvious and they had said in the lead up to this album that they were way more inspired by like prog rock right hugely and classic rock and stuff like that uh, and I think technically it's very in line with a lot of their other stuff because there are still like wild solos Awesome riffs, harmonization between people mm-hmm. who can't sing all that well, but they do really well for what they do. Right. There's basically. a charm to it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and on the albums, they totally make it work. Of Live, course. not so much. I've heard they've gotten better. I love Macedon to death, but I was, it was not good. The, when you, but when's the last time you saw them, though? I, I mean, I've seen live performances since we saw them, for example. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen them live, but I've seen. I see they have improved. You're, yeah, you're right. Okay, yeah. yeah. Mastodon's a weird band for so. Like this is, I'm going to totally defer to you on all things Mastodon because this is the f- 
only Mastodon record that I own um, because I'm a filthy casual <laughs> when it comes to Mastodon. To be fair, I, I I give you a burned copy of Blood Mountain, I think, in like oh, 2005. This is true. But I think you I think you like threw it under the seat and forgot about it. So, it's, you know, it's, I, it no, is it is. No, I, like my mother, keep everything. I'm sure I can find it. <laughs> um uh. Yeah, I think that I think that because of the age that I was, it was really hard for me at the time to see what was special about Mastodon whenever people were getting really excited about it. Uh-huh. Um, I think I think for you it was it was a big uh people were going sort of nuts about Braun and you were like, I don't know about this guy. Well, I, I guess like the things that he did didn't seem um Braun Taylor, the drummer of Mastodon, by the way. Right. Like yeah. Um, the thing, I guess like the things that he were do, he was, the things that he were doing, <laughs> come on, Bron, why were he were doing, you need to, he were doing better. Uh, I think that his vocabulary, what he, what he was doing, um, seemed much more novel to other people than it did to me because, you know, I, I knew what, I knew what jazz fusion was from the 70s yeah that's a fair point you know what i mean like yeah yeah so it wasn't it it just his drumming was it just felt like classic rock with longer tom fills to me i mean i think i think that's pretty apt and pretty apt description though i think that just wasn't in a lot of metal is, is probably the bigger thing right and i don't I, and, and and i i don't know that everyone was as big of a sabbath nut as i was mm. um because i was a tremendous black sabbath freak the first my first few years of high school that was that was what my football coaches called me that was my nickname my nickname was old oh, black sabbath, sabbath here <laughs> smoking them left-handed cigarettes <laughs> i still don't know what that means i guess they mean weed i don't know be some dating shit man um so I, I just think that it like well in in more so than like the drumming was this sort of like sense of like Mastodon is the heaviest band on the planet. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say that. And I remember listening to it, and, and I mean, and it just didn't it just didn't make sense to me at the time. And so then because I was because at the time I was twenty something, and then so then I became a dick about it. <laughs> is basically what happened. And then I heard um the first song on this record. And that was like this was clearly one of the best songs ever written. Oblivion, yeah. And so Oof. I mean this whole this is a concept album. Right. It's about a sister. Also, right? Uh, yes, yeah, Bron had a sister named Sky. I think she passed Died. away from something. I don't Maybe know. Cancer? That sounds right. I think that's what it was, yeah. Okay. And this is this is sort of tangentially about here, but this is also about like Rasputin, and this is like astral projection, right? And all just sorts of weird shit that 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 prog rock tends to be about. The metal yeah. isn't usually about, right? Yeah. Um, and the other thing about Mastodon is that I think they were a lot of people's entry into sludge metal because that just wasn't really a big right thing. That wasn't. You're right. You're right. Because that was another thing. Reason they didn't seem novel to me because I was like, dude, I'm already into neurosis. Exactly. That's the that's the point. This is like a more remission was probably a more accessible neurosis for a lot of people. Sure. I, I sure. Think. Yeah. I mean, and even Scott Kelly has done like lots of, like he did a whole tour with them cause he guests on like all their records. Yeah. You know? Uh, 
and shit like that. Yeah, that was a big aspect of it for me too. That that was also that was a big aspect too of why I had why I didn't latch on to metalcore stuff a lot was because a lot of metalcore um was really in like Black Dahlia Murder and stuff like that. Like they were really inspired by the uh melodic death metal, the Swedish metal, the Swedish sound, the okay. Gothenburg sound, you know, at but I already knew I already had the at the gate at the gates record and I was like, right. yeah, man, we'll fu- this is just this is at the gates with like a catchy chorus thrown in. That's all <laughs> Kill Switch Engage really is. That's all that first Kill Switch record is, or not their first one, but Alive or Just Breathing or whatever. Right, right. Um, and so I'm not trying to diminish those things. I'm just trying to sort of say why Contextualize. my why my 20 year old self was a dick about it. Yeah, because all the you know it's all amazing. You know. Anyway, but yeah, yeah so. I guess like so how did this did this determine the rest of the trajectory of their albums because ooh that's a good question because everything after this you know I guess in sort of a uh, a weird way it actually did because in my eyes Mastodon never stopped diverging right they kind of maybe they didn't go as hard after this one but it definitely kept because everything since then has been at this, at once, like weird and also heavier and also way lighter, right? And I, I feel like I feel like we just almost touched on another aspect of 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 what classifies something as an art album. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, as we are as this term that we both know what we know what we mean when we're saying it, but yeah. we don't we can't define much it. like art itself. I don't know what the or, fuck it is, but I know it when I, I see it. it. Like pornography. Oh, 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 oh. Well, um, okay, that's what a judge said about famously said about pornography in a court yeah, case yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. Um. But uh, I think that something that is an important consideration is how that album functions in the band's career. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes these art albums that we're speaking of, how they function is they sort of like – they sort of burn the expectations. They, they, they almost reset the slate. It's like, you know what we can do now? Whatever the fuck we want. Yeah. And, and so like – like after Metallica makes load and still has a career, well, they can fucking do an album with a symphony. They can do all covers. They can make an album that sounds like literal shit. They can <laughs> make an make a fucking spoken word art record where it doesn't even sound like they're in the same room as the guy who's doing the lyrics. Um, and it's like, well, I guess I guess they can do that. Um, yeah, who's gonna stop them? Who's gonna? Yeah, I'm not their fans, obviously. <laughs> yeah, like the fans are still gonna. I was like, well, I don't know, but about well. Well, they'll be here in March, so. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I really want to hear Master of Puppets for the 38th time. Yeah, you know, or like Nine Inch Nails. Like Nine Inch Nails can do whatever, he can do whatever the fuck he wants. You know what I mean? And that's that's post-fragile Nine Inch Nails, you know? Um, Or you could even say post-Volume 3 Slipknot. They can do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. Um, And so uh, I feel like that's almost a way that it functions, you know what I mean? But sometimes I feel like bands fuck up, though. So And they have their art album, and then they backtrack. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So I have an example of that. Okay. Well, so for, for, for yes. Mastodon specifically, yes. with, with that point, uh, I feel like in the lead up – so a lot of Metallica fans leading up to Load, if they heard Until It Sleeps because it was the first single, mm-hmm. maybe they were like, I don't know about this. But w- when people read about what – Crack the Sky was going to be. I see what you're saying. I think they were either like 
cautiously optimistic to like, fuck yeah, you're going to do that. Yeah, I want to hear you do that. I, I don't remember there being any backlash over it. Not at all. It was like optimism to like absolute like jubilation. I think it's probably – I think that record is probably as close as you can get to a sort of universally praised metal record at the time mm. that it came out. Be- I think you're right, yeah. Because I think that like like maybe like some of the hardcore – like hipster Mastodon fans might might not have been crazy about it, but they weren't mad about it. I, I get, yeah. I mean, I can't be sure for obviously, but like, I don't. That was not the vibe at the time. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. It was very much excitement, right? And and so and then a lot of like sort of people who had been on the fence about the band hurt. You know, we we I heard that and I was like, <laughs> oh, I get it now. Yeah, I finally get it. You know. Yeah. So so, all right. So here's a when art albums go wrong. Okay, get ready to shit on something. Not really when they go wrong, because I think that this is one of my absolute favorite records of all time. <laughs> okay, but I think, I think what came after it was a mistake. Ah, okay, yeah, I should have known this. Mechanical animals. So, in the trajectory of Marilyn Manson's career, this one is a this one is a what the fuck moment. Um, because you have Portrait of American Family, which is like this, like, uh, like dark, weird rock and roll record. Yeah. Um, an incredible record, but, but I don't even know how to classify it really. Um, and then Smells Like Children is like this remix industrial album. And, and then Antichrist Superstar is that fucking slab that it is. Yeah. That's an art album in its own regard, really. Um one of my favorite albums of all time. Huge influence huge influence on All Severed, I feel. Yeah. Um Do you remember that time when we covered Irresponsible but Hate Anthem? Yep. And, and that dude came up after the show. Do you remember that? Yep. And he had like he's like, dude, you can't believe blah, 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 and he like took his shirt off and he had like a Marilyn Manson yep. back piece or some shit. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> Um, thank, thank you, sir. But this album was just really unexpected. Um, like, because if you, you know, you hear like Beautiful People and, you know, and Little Horn and Tourniquet and all that. And then it goes from that to like Last Day on Earth and Rock is Dead and all this sort of stuff. It was very jarring. It was, yeah. But this album quickly became one of my favorite albums. I remember being excited to get home from school so I could listen to it. Nice. It was. It's still one of my favorite albums. To just turn on and play drums too. Like just, I. It was one of those. Like I'm just gonna play this whole record. Um, but I feel like this could. This this just should have been the moment. This should have been like, all right, cool. Marilyn Manson do whatever the fuck he wants. Mm-hmm. But then he kind of backtracked. Then he tried to make like, all right, well, let me just make like a whole album of like slowed down, beautiful peoples, and that's sort of what Hollywood was. Huh. And like. Things just, and I still love that record. I still, but I love it in a different way. You know, I love it in a like, well, that's cool. You know, it doesn't feel on the the tier that the the first part of his career does. You know, so yeah, so yeah. So for I mean, for me with this album, this mm-hmm. is this is where I fell off of Marilyn Manson, pretty much. And I, honestly, I haven't really given it an honest shot since. Basically, since it came out, yeah. Uh, but this album was enough for me to like. 
I think I'm good. You're like, I don't need. It's like I li- I don't need Manson with tits. I'm good. You know that was probably part of it. Honestly, at the time, it made people real uncomfortable at the yeah. time. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't. I just remember not liking any of the songs that I heard particularly. Oh, they're, they're all like they're like all my favorites somehow. But weirdly enough, I think this is my sister's entrance to Marilyn Manson. Oh, or she got way into him. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So. All right. What? What's? All right. You toss one out. Um. Uh. Okay. So. Oh man, which one to pick? I guess pick something a little different. How about, I don't know if you're going to know shit about this or not. Maybe you do, actually. Uh, I'm going to pick The Outcast with Speaker Box and Love Below. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I understand. I, I smell what you're stepping in. Okay. So th- It smells like roses, I think. <laughs> That's what you're trying to say. <laughs> um, so something I must preface with this conversation is that I think that y- the first hip-hop record I ever really had that I listened to was a copy of Love Below and Speaker Box that you burned for me. Hell yeah. And I remember being over at your house and being like, oh my gosh, Robert listens to Outcast. <laughs> well, if Robert listens to it, it has to be good. <laughs> okay, I'll give this a chance. And yeah, like, oh man. It's it's one of the greatest songs I've ever made. But continue. It's really good. So uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm really familiar in the past years. I got really into their very, into their first record. Okay. And then I, and then I listened to their second record quite a bit, but I hadn't sort of filled in all the gaps leading up to speaker box yet. Right. So, so there's Southern Phil, Playlistic and right. there's AT aliens and then there's Stankonia, which was kind of their big. Right. With Mrs. Jackson. Ms. Jackson. Uh, uh, I know you said that I fucking forgot everything else. There's a there's a shitload bombs of, over Baghdad bombs maybe. over Baghdad was a huge one, uh that album is f- fucking phenomenal mm. that's that's from start to finish that's probably their best album I'd say and so how is Speakerbox, um a how is it a divergence it is from a, the from the trajectory excellent question I'm glad you asked that question that way <laughs> it is literally a divergence because they each made the outcast is composed of Big Boy and Andre 3000 mm-hmm. two artists. And for this album, they each made their own album. It is the most divergence possible that you could get. Right. So Big Boy's album, Speaker Box, is like, it's still like an outcast album. It kind of sounds like an outcast album. And I think Andre's only on like one of the songs. He's mm-hmm. on like the first song mm-hmm. on Ghetto Music. Uh, then you got this Andre 3000 record, Love Below. And it is weird. Fucking Weird. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't even know how to describe it aptly. Like it's it's this pseudo like lounge sort of R and B soulful like yeah. And then there's isn't there like a like a version of like my favorite things on there with yep. like drum and bass and just, shit. Just instrumental. It. Okay. Yep. It's awesome as hell. It's great. Yeah. Uh, but he's got he's doing like skits. Well, there's skits on both of them. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But his. On the ones on Love Below are very much like just these weird little conversations with like a girl who's like you can imagine is like laying on bed, or or this guy who comes up to him and he's like, oh, oh, how do you do, sir? Oh, very well. How do you do? And it's mm-hmm. like, what are you doing? But it really works. It's yeah, and like to to say nothing of like Hey Ya or Roses, which are like huge sure hits. The rest of that. The rest of that particular, I it really the love below here is is the art album, 
mm-hmm. piece. Uh, like I think I probably like Speaker Box more as like just an album, mm-hmm. but the Love Below is so goddamn weird and it's such a departure from everything else they did. It's really strange because I I sort of remember I sort of remember hearing. Like, okay, yeah, there's Hey Ya, and everyone knows that song, and yeah, sure. But the experience of listening to The Love Below is this very separate thing that almost has no connection to hearing the song Hey Ya. Yeah. Um, it doesn't necessarily fit in that album in, mm-hmm. in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. So I could see that. So it's, but yeah, that, that, that album is definitely an experience to listen to. And I guess that the so their so your set so their previous albums are more like speaker box much more yeah. okay because um and they're generally like in a given song it's like they trade off verses a lot of times and maybe right. they'll, maybe they'll double up in the chorus or right whatever but just it, to completely split that shit exactly they literally just took that and split it in half right so but but what, what what's the name of the southern play music southern playlistic Cadillac music. Southern playlist at Cadillac Music. Yeah. So I listen I've listened to that album for a while, for like six months. That album was just on repeat in my car. Um and that album is beautiful and cinematic and has its own like sort of like oh, this is an experience um listening to it. And but it just isn't as it just doesn't stretch out as much as Love Below does. Yeah. yeah. It's still very much a like it's a fucking ride, you know? Um, but it's not like the fucking psychedelic mind bend, I guess. It's so weird. So, and I, I like at the time, like I, I guess I must have bought it because of Hey Ya. Like, like that's the only explanation. Mm-hmm. And, well, I think Hey Ya and uh, I like the way you move came out at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, because they dropped them from both both sides of the album at once. Right. And so I probably bought it because of that, and then I dove headfirst into Love Below and just went nuts. Um, I think that's probably how I found that. Uh, yeah, really, okay. really weird. Okay, but I love it. It's that's one of my favorite, one of my favorite albums. Nice as as a piece. All right, all right. What do you got? Okay, this is the exception. This is the exception that proves the rule. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, you know, I didn't even consider this. Because it's a first album. Yeah. How can you subvert expectations if it's your first album? Yeah. How can you break a trajectory if it's for a first album? <laughs> um, I think it's because Mudvayne actually, they went forward in time, wrote all their albums, and then released them in the reverse order. I oh, think this is actually shit. Mudvayne's, it's called LD50 because I think it's actually their fifth album. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> After a while, they stopped calling them LPs. They started calling them LDs. There it is. I got you. Uh, Laser discs. So I have to like, because when you're talking about art albums, I'm like, well, this is, you have to talk about this because this is like such an undeniable sonic experience of a fucking heavy record. You're not wrong. And just, it is, it is on the top of the heap. Um, But what's strange is that Mudvayne, it's almost like Mudvayne got really, really tired of people not being able to dance to their music at festivals. <laughs> And then they just like let's just write, let's just write simpler and simpler shit, you know. Uh, they, I mean, they're like, the whole thing we've been talking about with the split here. They literally did the opposite, mm-hmm. literally to the and the, the point is hell yeah. I think is when they get to 
There, there is not a band that I've tried harder to like than that band. Because <laughs> it has Vinnie Paul in it. Like, the reason that I play drums, you know? And then, like, the singer from, like, one of my favorite bands. And I just, I cannot get past, like, these guys from Peoria cosplaying as Texans. I can't get past it. I just can't. Maybe I should. Like, Vinnie Paul approves. I should approve, right? Was, was it just a singer or was it just? It was actually the guitarist too at first, but then he left. Okay. Okay. I think on the first two Hell Yeah records or whatever. But yeah, no, man, dude, I saw Rammstein a few years ago in Dallas and Hell Yeah opened up for it. And they, they did, I didn't know that's who was going to open up for it. And mm. I remember like it, it was a venue very similar to the Cynthia Woods Pavilion, Jexa, I think, Jexa Pavilion, but very, very similar venue. And I'm in the seats. And then I remember seeing like Vinny off to the side of the stage. And like, I mean, he's like, he's like, however far he's fuck all far away. And like, dude, like I had a physiological reaction from seed, from just knowing that I was on this at the same like address that Vinny was at. I was like, (gasps) you know, like I should, for me to have that kind of reaction, I should like that dude's fucking band, but man, (laughs) hell yeah. I don't know. Uh, Anyway. So, but yeah, but I don't know. I feel like you gotta, you gotta like mention this one. And if, yeah, you're no, talk, if you're talking about art albums, uh, that's a good point. I'm kind of sad I didn't think about that because that is one that I think of as like, this is one of the albums for me from this era that just really holds up still. It really, really does. A lot of albums do not. And a lot of their later albums very much do not. For there's me. some, there's always some great songs yeah. on, on their later albums. You know what I mean? I mean, I listened to uh, whatever the, the second end of all called. everything begins again, again, because they did both of they did the EP and then they did the album and they're the same goddamn name scheme, but I can't remember. Right. Whatever. Second album, I listened to quite a bit, but I've it's gone great. back. I've gone back to it and it's like it doesn't hit me quite the same way as it did, but back then. Yeah. But there's some really great songs on there. Yeah. But as a whole, it doesn't do this album is. It doesn't do what this does. This album is on a whole. It's in a whole other stratosphere, a whole other galaxy. Yeah. You like, know, to have this many weird songs and to have them all connect and all work and all have their own individual identity, but somehow all create this co- cohesive yeah, whole. Yeah. Being all as weird as they are, it's insane. Yeah. Huge influence on All Severed, I feel. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, much like you said earlier in the way that you would enjoy getting home to listen to mechanical animals i mm. felt that way about this mm-hmm. album too. i remember being just waiting waiting forever for this fucking album to come out because you had seen them right yeah yeah I, yeah we saw them we saw them play with slipknot in like april yeah. of 2000 or something at that same show where april where cory was shouting out fragile okay and then like their record didn't come out till like fucking six months later and it, it was is it eons when you're like <laughs> 17 yeah you know yeah um, all right. Uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. All right. Toss one out. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, I got more. I mean, I've got a, so many. I'm just trying to think what to talk. I mean, I've got some that are like, I don't know if they are. Okay. I'll tell you what. Here here we go. Here's a couple that. Yeah, yeah. We'll just go, we'll go quick. We'll go quick. I know you have a weird history with this album. So what do you think about Stadium Arcadium? Chili Peppers. Oh, dude. So I don't have a weird history. I have a stupid history <laughs> where uh, where the first disc is one of my favorite albums of all time. And it's it's such it's like one of my favorite pieces of music to ever exist ever. And it's so high on like my joy, like music that brings me joyless that I'm a, that I just never got to the second. I never got around to the second disc. <laughs> have you never listened to it still to this day? 
I, I, I did I did within the past year. Okay. Okay. With the pan- <laughs> pandemic, get a lot of yeah, time in your hands. It changes everything. It's great. Yeah. It's great. It's great. <laughs> um, I feel like that might be one. I, I I think I would disagree. Yeah. I would disagree. I would say that. Californication? I would. Okay. Um, or maybe even By the Way. Oh, I, for, um, I forget about By the Way. That one is, um, that, that record holds on. That's amazing. And okay. it is weird as shit. It is weird as shit. I think that's um, why I had trouble getting into it. But I think I think that By the Way sort of firmly puts them out of the out of things derivative of funk rock. Of like Blood Sugar Sex Magic, which was yeah. totally still that. Right. There's a little bit, there is still that on Californication, I feel. But like, yeah. by the way, Californication is like the beginning of that experimentation. And by the way, is like the completion of it. I could see that. So. I could see that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess I went with Stadium Arcadium because it was a double it's album. Expansive. And they expanded more. But I can, yeah. I, yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, do you, here, Okay. Here's a question. Do you have one for live? Oh, God. That's really funny that you mentioned them. We might have to put a pin in this because I have okay. so much to say. Okay, I um, thought you might so. about the, about that whole about that whole. We, we, we I can talk about that band for that's one of my favorite bands ever of all time. Okay, and I have so many so much to say because for me it's like I had the first two albums, and I kind of I liked <laughs> I liked a few songs off the first album. <laughs> and then I had Throwing Copper, obviously, because fucking everyone did. It's one of the best albums I've ever made. And it's a fantastic album. And Holds I, up. And I kind of... Oh, I'm sorry. I had Secret Samadhi as well. Hmm. Uh, and I liked some stuff off that album, too. And then I kind of just didn't do much else past that. So I knew... I, that's why I was asking, <laughs> because I was like... What, well, this is another time. It's another time. Good good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, do you think Linkin Park has one? I'm not familiar. No, I only really, I'm only really familiar with their first two records, so I okay. can't really comment. Okay. On Lincoln Park. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I kind of lost track after, like, the third album, I guess. Well, they had they had the first two, and then they had the remix album, which I can't remember what it was called. Right. And then they had, they came back eventually with the third album, and it was very different. And that's kind of where I would probably land there, but I also am not familiar enough with it to say. Yeah. I guess that might be something that, like, sort of lands in the, like, is this a art album or a crossover album? You know, because I guess you could say that about the Black Album. Like, is the Black Album an art o- an art album, or is it a crossover album where like a band becomes, you know, has like this meteoric rise? Not, not that mean, ah. that didn't mean to do that. Ah. Um, you know, where where all of a sudden they bring in all these new people, but sure. it's not necessarily because, or it's not, but but the that's almost sort of independent of the trajectory that they were on. You know what I mean? Like, like I feel like Metallica went in to make the album they wanted to make with the black album. And it just so happened to like hit a nerve, you know, like be the thing to become meteor, you know, like really popular, whatever. I don't think they set out to do that, you know? Right. So, um, I mean, I guess tangentially to Legan Park, you could say that, uh, the, that Fort minor album is maybe, I don't even know what that is. That's Mike Shinoda doing his oh. solo hip hop thing. Okay, it's a really fucking good album too. Oh, rad. Uh, anyway, all right. What do you got? Okay. Um. So, which of these two would you consider? Well, this is on my list. Okay, rad. but but I also which one came out first? I'm forgetting. I think Catch Thirty Three came out. Okay, the, the year of or the year prior. They were really close, right? Yeah, and I kind of couldn't decide also between those two, honestly. 
Okay. So what's interesting about these two, and we'll just kind of, we're going to start rapid firing this shit. Yeah. So the thing about this with these two is I think that this is whenever Meshuggah, because before this, Meshuggah did uh, nothing. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> they didn't do a single thing. Nothing Lazy matters. Assholes. Um, yes. Honestly, nothing in contention in a, in a weird way for me, too. I would disagree. Really? Well, okay. I guess what I mean is that after these, they established that, like, this doesn't even have real drums on it. True. It's one piece of music. This is 20 minutes long, okay? Who the fuck knows how they put that together? And it was just like, yeah, man, all these rules that y'all apply to metal and how it's supposed to be made and how it's supposed to be played and put out there, we really don't fucking care. Yeah. And yeah. and so, like, we're going to – like, they established themselves as, like, the art band of metal. And – It's a good point. And so that's what these albums really did, I feel. Yeah. Like, because they could have just done nothing part two and everyone would have loved it. You know, or they could have done Chaos Fear again. Chaos Fear is always going to be my favorite Meshuggah record. Yeah. Um, but they didn't. They like, they're like, because they had been, you know, grinding, playing music in the room with each other for like 10 years straight at that fucking point. You know what I mean? And so they did this weird shit. And I feel like it kind of did the thing that we were talking about earlier. It, it like pulverized the the palette, the slate for them. They were like, yeah, we can do whatever the fuck we want now. Yeah. So. And they kind of did after that. All right. So there's that one. Nice. Um, here, here is, here's a, here's a fun one. Okay. I don't know. If, did we say that's Catch Thirty Three by Meshuga and an I by oh, Meshuga? Oh yeah, we're such assholes. Yeah. Um, I think we've pretty much said everything else that's up to this point. I hope we did. Um, but yeah, we're talking about Meshuga <laughs> I and Meshuga Catch Thirty Three. Holy shit, we're dicks. <laughs> okay. You familiar with this album? I don't know what this is. This is Smashing Pumpkins. Adore, adore. Oh wow. Is that what it was called? Yeah. I thought it was called Ava Adore. That was a song. That was a song, yeah. Okay, never mind. Do you know anything about this record? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you have an opinion on this record? I don't like it very much. One of my favorite records of all time. Damn! Okay, interesting. I had no idea. <laughs> Fucking tip, 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 top. Oh, like, wow. I'm definitely in my top ten. Wow. Absolutely. Okay. Is this all the same? Is this all one thing? Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Um... So yeah, Smashing Pumpkins, Ava. I mean, uh, Adore. So yeah, and I I feel like I, this sort of. I'm not the huge. I'm not. It's really strange because this is like one of my favorite albums of all time. But I'm not like a huge, like connoisseur of Smashing Pumpkins. I can't tell you much about their trajectory. I can just tell you that this album is extremely important to me, and and I know that it pissed a lot of their fans off, from my understanding. Yeah, and it doesn't because it doesn't really fit in the trajectory of like. You know, Siamese Dream or Gish, Siamese Dream, Melancholy, and then this. Because this is very subdued and very mellow. All of the bombast is gone. All the aggression is gone. And uh, that's why I loved it so much, actually. So it's funny because Jimmy Chamberlain is like one of the best modern rock, modern rock drummers ever, you know, in the past like 30 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And... My favorite re- Smashing Pumpkins record is the one that he's not on. <laughs> it's electronic drums. No, it's this guy named Matt Walker played a lot of drums on it too. Oh, I thought it was okay. 
I guess um, they did a lot of synth stuff on it. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. what I'm thinking of. Um, but uh, it's definitely not the like jazz fusion stuff that Jimmy Chamberlain was doing. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I will say that I liked, I liked things off of this album for sure. And then I guess it wasn't until the next album, Machina, that mm-hmm. I just like didn't like it at all. I liked one song. I was kind of done with it. So. I mean, I, uh, we had friends that were like way the fuck into the Smashing Pumpkins. Sure. And I think that had an effect on me. Uh, sure. Detrimentally. So. All right. I got two more that I definitely want to like talk about. Okay. Okay. All right. So Strapping Young Lad, Alien. All right. Okay. So would you consider this an art album? I haven't listened to this album enough to have an opinion on that, honestly. Oh, okay. So it's an art album. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what year did this come out? I don't actually know. Ah, uh, I think 2005, okay. 2006, it, somewhere. It, is in this there. the next one after? So this is. Um, um, so it's it's city and then our, our, our heavy is a really heavy thing. City self titled Then this. I'm pretty yes. sure self titled came out in 2003. I think that sounds right. So um, okay, yeah, I never got around to that one. I guess too uh, too much. So at the time it came out, let me see if I can find the date. Yeah, 2005. Okay. Um, so it was weird as fuck, yo. Um, it's really weird because Devin is singing. He like got off his medication and he's like singing about like, so you want to have a baby? <laughs> like, <he's, laughs> you know, um, and like screaming about Disneyland and love. And it's like, it's not, it's what you would be having. It's what you would be having strapping young lad emotions about if you were in your thirties, right. which he was, I wasn't. So it seemed really foreign and weird. Sure. But the music and the drumming is still untouchable. Still hoggling. Yeah. Okay. And still like, just, just the, the, the music is just wacky and it's put to, anyway, it's worth a list. It's a fucking experience of a record, but, um, it's not what I had wanted from shopping and glad. So it was a little challenging for me. And it hasn't really, really grown on me until the past few years, actually. Okay, interesting. So um, I'm gonna have to go back and give that another shot. Then it's definitely worth it. It's it's a motherfucker. Um, cool. So I'm gonna go through a few ones really quick. Yeah, and then I have a last one that I want to talk about. Okay. okay, I've got a couple. Let me let me throw out a couple. Real quick. Yeah, let's go. We'll go. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about White Pony? That's on here. Deftones. Yeah. I'm Excellent. Not, I'm not – I think it's a great album. It's one of my favorite albums. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I just wasn't super into the first two, so I can't comment. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I was like marginally into Adrenaline, which was the first album. Bored. Yeah. Just bored. That had some good stuff on it for sure. And then Around the Fur, I was way, way, way into Okay. when that came out. Like My Own Summer was like one of the first riffs I learned. So I many people. So fucking good. Uh, and Be Quiet and Drive was like uh, one of the last songs on that album, but it was the precursor to White Pony in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like vibe and like just the textures in that song. Uh, yeah, White Pony, tremendous fucking album. Okay. So and, so to you, does it feel like an art album? Yes. Okay. Positively. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it established the rest of their career. Oh, yeah. You know, so. Uh, let's put it this way. Every album they've done since that album came out has been weird and divisive in a different way. Mm, mm, uh, like mm-hmm, they just kept mm-hmm. doing like the shit, kind of like Metallica, I guess like the shit that sure. they wanted to do and people liked it or they didn't. Right. Cause I, I, one or two of their albums since then I've loved 
and then one of your albums I couldn't care less about. I see. I see. That's yeah. So I, I had White Pony on here. Nice. Nice and nice. I had I. Uh, I had Risk by Megadeth. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because, man, do people hate that record. They do. You know what's funny? My buddy Michael Scarlatta, that's like the first Megadeth record he – he heard and oh, that's weird. like and like that's like he's like he's like oh i fucking love megadeth what is that life like <laughs> yeah he's like i love megadeth it's like oh yeah what what are you into you know and he's like oh that risk album and everyone gets quiet around him you know like that <laughs> i mean i my favorite megadeth record is cryptic writings which is like it's just risk with like some thrash beats in it it i mean it's it's risk but they didn't go full risk yet it's what happened <laughs> And then when they went full risk, they were like, you never go full risk. We're Uh, we're hopping the shark. We're not jumping the shark, you know? Yeah. I I think Uh, I probably agree that that's – well, I don't agree with that. Is that like a – is that an art album or is that like a failed crossover album, right? Right. Yeah, right. So now that we're into that, that – Maybe that's more what it like, actually is. You, know, you were just trying to make the Black Album for the for the aughts, motherfucker. Because everything after that, they definitely went back to the well. Yeah, I, definitely. I, so, yeah, that's, that's I true. I kept, haven't. My favorite Megadeth is like the, the Megadeth I heard when I was a kid, you know? So like Euthanasia, Cryptic Writings. And that's really all the Megadeth that I need. Um, I can't what's – the, what's the album called? No, I can't even think of the fucking name of it. Doesn't matter. The the one of theirs that's my favorite. Countdown I, to Extinction. No, the one before that. P cells. No. Yes. I don't know. Dude. Holy. The one the Holy Wars is on. Rust in peace. <laughs> Killing know. is my business. I can't actually. I've just listed all their records. It must be Rust in Peace. That sounds right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's uh, the, I, yeah? Okay, go ahead. I I just I'll throw out uh, Yellow and Green by Baron, Baroness. I'm not. I'm not. I know you're not familiar enough. I, you know, I love that album. It's yeah. your fault. Yep. Um, yeah. But uh, but that makes sense to me because I've only have like sort of a cursory knowledge of their first two records. It's a lot like Mastodon's mm-hmm. uh, trajectory, where they had two EPs in the very beginning called First and Second, and they were like straight up just hardcore sludge. Yeah. Like just deep, deep screams and deep riffs and bleh, gross sounding shit. They're really good though. And then they had the Red Album. Which is slightly more melodic, but still pretty, pretty sludgy. And then you had blue, which was like weirdly heavier, but also even more melodic okay. and even more divergent. And then you had yellow and green, which was a double album, but not that both parts of it diverged. It just as a whole, it was sort of way more dynamic than what they'd done before. The songs on that yes. al- on those albums are so good. That uh, that is. Um, I don't know. I don't have a listing of like top albums of all time, but that's in the contention for like top three. Yeah, like I don't know what my list is, but I know the ones that are in it. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, I haven't thought that far ahead, but that, that's one of my favorite albums of all time. Easily, easily, easily. Uh, and then one more I'll throw out real quick is what do you think about Obsolete? That's on my list, motherfucker. All right. <laughs> all right, then. Um, with a question mark. <laughs> with a question uh, okay. mark. I couldn't think of anything better, I guess. And I'm not familiar enough with their later stuff. I am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well then. Um, I think that I think obsolete would qualify. Um Fear Factory. Obsolete. Yes, Fear Factory, obsolete. We're bad at this, yo. <laughs> we'll, we'll get better. Um so 
Uh, but yeah, Fear Factory obsolete. Uh, I think what it the I th- I think the reason that I thought of it was because the whole it was the first concept album that I knew I was listening to. Um, that was really explicit in the liner notes of like, yeah, you had the lyrics, but then beside the lyrics, you had the story. And that just seemed like the coolest shit to us, man. Um, and so this idea of like, wait a minute, you can, it doesn't have to just be the lyrics. Like the lyrics can be this piece of a bigger thing was just, yeah, this like mind blowing kind of thing. And so they're them exposing us to that idea, you know, um, and I think it's – they've had such a weird career. It's hard to sort of, you yeah. know, because to me, like, I think I think, I think, think Fear Factory has made three truly exceptional records. Uh, Demanufacture, Mechanize, that's the one they did with Gene Hoagland, and then their most recent one, actually, the one that came out a few months ago. Yeah. Um, I think that I've been listening to those almost nonstop. Um, and, uh, yeah, like obsolete. So not all the tracks hold up. Some of them are wonky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the last couple though, that sort of really hammer home the, the sonic, uh, art albuminous right. of it, I think really do hold up pretty well. I think so too. Like timelessness and resurrection. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Those are fantastic songs. Absolutely. Um, so Yeah. Okay. Why not? Cool. Uh, I've got a couple more that I want to run through, but go ahead and do some. Okay. Uh, before we end. So up. here's here's a fun one. Undisputed attitude by Slayer. Huh. Huh. Okay. Okay. I I could see that. It's interesting, right? Because like yeah. for like the metalist metal of the metal bands to do a an album of punk, punk rock covers, punk covers yeah. at the time of our understanding of what punk rock was was really crazy. Yeah. Um and really, you know what I mean? So that's yeah. why that's sort of why I mentioned that one of it's like, yeah. well, that's not what we were expecting from you guys and then being like suck it. <laughs> you know, it's what you're getting, motherfuckers. Yeah. Um true. It's still a great record. It's still such a such awesome to listen to. Um All right. We got another one. Uh are you very familiar with Radiohead? No. Okay. So I have either OK Computer or Kid A on here. So so they did they did Pablo Honey way back in the day with Creep on it. Okay. First album. Then they did The Bins, which was still kind of close to the same thing. And then they put out OK Computer, which is like widely regarded as like this watershed moment in pop music. I don't fucking know exactly. Right. But it's an incredible album. It's a absolutely amazing album. And that was so that was already a pretty big departure from what they've been doing. And it was a concept album and it was just all over the place. It was really forward thinking in a lot of ways. And then they had Kid A, which was just this nonsensical, like audible chaos. And then they like what was the next album? Held Hail to the Thief, I think was the next one. From then on it was just nonsense. Yeah. After that. <laughs> but I, I kinda lost track after that. So just I, nonsense. It was just nonsense after that. <laughs> they had albums after that, and it was just nonsense. Um, 
One of those two I would probably argue for, though. Let, let's just say that. Okay. And okay. It, okay. Yeah, because it's a it's a it's a career sort of it's a pivot. You know, it wasn't what their fan base was expecting. It wasn't what their fan base was expecting, I don't think. But also, it created right an even bigger fan base, probably. Right, right, right. Like, I mean, that's kind of what Volume Three did. You yeah. Know? In post Volume Three world, you know, like slip like Slipknot's on Guitar Hero and shit. You know, you're not fucking yeah. putting people equal shit on Guitar Hero. <laughs> Um, yeah, but like people who love Radiohead, they don't go back to the bins. Hmm. They don't go back to fucking Creep. I see. They go back to one of these two albums. I see. I see what you're saying. So it's really almost like they, it's almost like they had like a proto career that happened to have one of the best single, you know, one of the most played singles ever. Yeah. And like their real career started with Kid A almost. Kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Here's a random one, uh, Burning Red by Machine Head. Okay, so I, I have through the Ashes of Empires on here because I, I really didn't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, it feels like there's one in there. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Machine Head is like one of our favorite bands, so we could spend a lot of time talking about Machine Head. I, I, I picked the Burning Red because... Um, if you look at the trajectory, that one's definitely a departure. Totally. Like burn my eyes. The more things change, the more things change. And then the burning red, you know, like it's very different than what came before it. Yes, absolutely. Like, he, you know, Rob is like rapping all over the place. Right. Which you wouldn't expect it. There's a lot. You should, because if you watch you the should. video for Davidia and he's walking around with cornrows and a pit bull. Like, I don't know why y'all motherfuckers are so uh, surprised, like, to see him in a tracksuit and spitting. I guess that's fair. Um, but also, that album, they had a new guitarist. Yeah. So that that was a big departure in a lot of ways, just, like, sonically. Sure, sure. And, it, and, it, uh, and, and it's way more melodic. Yeah. Way more melodic. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that album introduces – it introduced a new color – into Machine Head's palette that became essential that never went away, which was that yeah. that melody. You know what I mean? Because, yeah, you know, I mean, Rob was singing before then, but not like he was on that record. That's you know? true. And so, and it was when he started to sort of, it was a very personal record, you know, and and so, and I think that sort of like, it sort of was the 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 the, the piece of Rob sort of putting together of this this marriage of like that like the really personal style of that was very common with like new metal lyrics but then also like the austerity of traditional metal lyrics and him sort of finding his own way to marry the two of those which i think you see realized on through the ashes of empire that's kind of what it is like i feel like that i feel like probably burning red is like the the real inflection point there but through the ashes is like where they got it right. I agree. So I agree. And That's still a, there's only like the through the ashes empire is still an incredible record. Yeah. Start to finish. There's a few. There's like one one or two songs on there that I don't really like. But it's not even really I don't like the songs. I don't like a few of the lyrics. There's just like a few things. A few things like take me out of it. You know. Um, <laughs> sure. So okay, rad. Um, okay, I only have like really one more. Okay, an honorable mention, I had Diabolus in Musica by oh, Slayer again. Just okay. because that record pissed so many people off, and I think it's absolutely stupid. I guess it did, huh? 
It yeah, like yeah. fuck all of you who thinks that that record's not heavy as shit. No, it's like, great. You need to listen to Bitter Peace if you don't think that that's one of the heaviest fucking songs the Slayer's ever fucking put out. You can just lick my ass. <laughs> like I don't fucking I don't I don't I don't. You're not a Slayer fan. You like you didn't come like you don't listen to Slayer for Slayerness if you don't like the fucking opening track on Diabolus. Um, that's a that's a good point. So okay, one more, and then I have the one that I want to finish on. Okay, okay. what about Inema? What do you think about that? No, I, I don't think Tool tracks here. Okay, is, is the thing. Uh, that there, that's such a like. It's it, it's at once an incredibly linear progression, but also like a spiral, man. <laughs> I, I don't fucking know. I, I don't think it. I don't think well, it works. Well, because opiate feels rather straight ahead, and and under you know, and undertow feels like. Almost like they just took the ingredients of opium, and just like, well, just let's just stretch them out a little bit, you know? But it, yeah. like, Undertow doesn't feel, but, but Inema feels dense in a way that Undertow doesn't. Hmm. Um, hmm. So, and I feel like Inema was what established what they were doing. But anyway, I, yeah, I would say, it's I would, a strong maybe for me. Okay. I, I won't, I won't argue with that. I would, I would say that Lateralis versus, I know kind of probably has the same. Dis- there's a, there's a s- equal distance between those, all of these things. Those feel those like that or else and Inema feel really close to me. Yeah, yeah, but ju- they just feel like huh. okay. Well, I'm gonna look at this thing from here. Oh, well, now I'm gonna look at it from here. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Hmm, okay. Whereas like o- opiate and undertow feel like over there. You know. Hmm. I, I mean, for me, I, I I guess I see it as a progression though. It is a progression. I guess it is a progression. That, that I see what you're saying. So it, does, it doesn't really count in the rules that we've established because the progression is clear. To, yeah, to me, so, it all makes sense. Uh, to me, it was I gotcha. all obvious. I guess. I guess I could see. I feel like there is still a jump between Inema and, and Undertow because Undertow. I feel like they could have like kind of meandered a little more in the Undertow vibe. You know, I think there's a jump in like production quality for sure. I think in songwriting. Um, but okay. I, I like Undertow a lot. Okay, also. I you know I haven't really listened to it in a long time. I haven't listened to any Tool in a long time, so I should probably shut my fucking mouth. <laughs> I still listen to a lot of Tool these days. Well, yeah, I'll defer to you. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I got, okay, let me do what a do couple. Got? Let me do a couple rapid fire ones that I don't know if you have any background on it. Okay. What do you think about Paul's Boutique, Beastie Boys? Um, I love that record. Yeah, same. But I don't know any other Beastie Boys. That's the only Beastie Boys record I know. Okay. Cause like coming off of shit like License to Ill, where it's like you gotta fight for your right, right. to party, and then going into this like it's, this album's incredible, and it's just totally not that anymore. Sure, it, you know that was like produced by the Dust Brothers. It was like this really right. dense sample laden like yeah. soundscape that their yeah. albums were never like. Right, but then they went into like they back went like back into Check Your Head, and it's like more rock and stuff. So it was a very weird progression mm-hmm. there. I don't know what you thought about that. Anyway, um, and you're not very familiar with Buckethead, are, are you? No. Okay. He did an album, like his fourth album of his like 75 albums, literally, was called Colma. It's and not okay. <laughs> you need to edit yourself, dude. Impossible. <laughs> and so all, all Buckethead stuff is just like wild, uh, um, really like angular sounding music. Yeah. And these like just bizarrely technically proficient leads. Mm-hmm. All over the fucking place. And he does Colma, which is an acoustic album. Oh, okay. And it's 
gorgeous. It's a fantastic, beautiful album. Absolutely unlike anything he'd done. But then he repeats this sort of thing over his career. He's done like a number of these albums and every every few so often he does another one. Oh, okay. So like another acoustic album or another like different album? Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Uh, I, so this can't really count because he got uh, so fucking many albums. Sure. It just doesn't matter anymore after a certain uh-huh. point. So anyway, I just thought I'd throw that on there because that was like the first point. I see. And it's a beautiful album, so I wanted to call okay. it out. The Beatles, do you do anything? They do anything for you? I mean, I like the Beatles, so I guess. Are I was you gonna say talk like, about Revolver? I was gonna say like the White Album, maybe. Okay. Or Sgt. Pepper, maybe in a it's, weird other way. It's so hard to like judge the Beatles as having a trajectory because yeah. their entire career is like in six years or whatever stupid yeah. thing it is. Yeah. You know, so, um, I don't have a good one for that, but I put those like as maybes. Yeah, there's there's different definite like turning points. Um. I feel like the Beatles are like this own island because yeah. because they didn't really like because they didn't really establish a career. They ended. They stopped. They're like, all right, well, we're done. Yeah. You know, so. But there was that turning point, like Revolver or the album after Revolver. Revolver is where it started, where they started to like those things started. No, 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 no. It wasn't Revolver. The one before that was when things started to get a little psychedelic. And then I think Revolver was the one where they it was like oh okay. Rubber Soul maybe was the yeah, one yeah that's the one okay. that's where it start and I guess like I guess like maybe that's why I would say no okay. is because when I went back and listened to the Beatles discography start to finish a few years ago it felt pretty linear okay into the wacky I could see that too you know um yeah I'm not a huge Beatles aficionado or anything mm-hmm. so I don't I don't have a huge opinion on that but I thought maybe uh. What do you think about Synchronicity by The Police? Um, I kind of absorbed all of The Police's material at one time. Okay. So I don't really know. Um, that's the one with King of Pain on it, though, right? <sighs> oh, God, that's a great question. It's it's their last album <clears throat> is, the, sure. is the weird part about this. It's like the red and blue and yellow. Yeah. On it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I actually do have that vinyl inside. Nice. Uh, have you listened to that album in its entirety, though? I have. Okay. It's got some really weird shit on it. Like it's mm-hmm. got some of their most intricate, uh, just like bizarrely melodic songs. But it also has stuff like the song that Stuart Copeland wrote, which okay. is called I can't think of the name. But then you got the song that Andy Summer wrote, which is called like Mother, and it's just stings sort of painfully yelling mother for like two minutes okay and it's really terrible it's not good um but that album to me is is just a really bizarre divergence oh and it has murder by numbers which is which is definitely like the 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 like well that's gonna be sting's solo career right um but it it has synchronicity one and two which are like incredible songs right they're so weird right yeah King of Pain is one of my favorite songs of all time. It's a fantastic song. I can just listen to that song over and over and, Hell over, yeah. and over and over and over. I was actually going to add that to the list <laughs> of, that like, one song? of like the Tony Williams, Joey Jordison oh, thing okay. of like, here's a good example of how like weird Stuart Copeland is in the context of a pop song. Right. You know, because like that first snare hit, like it, it comes in on like the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, you know, and yes. it's like. I just every time that like every time I hear like Stuart Copeland go you know like you know 
I'm like, I imagine Sting rolling his eyes, and it makes me so happy. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Um, okay, in, in, maybe you have an opinion on this one. I don't so much, but uh, either Octung Baby or Zeropa. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> Come back to that one. If, if you have, do you have anything I, else I, to I got, add? I got three more. I got Jar of Flies by Allison Chains. I don't go fuck Boston Chains. Wow. <laughs> wow. I said that just to piss you off. Wow, um, it does. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. okay, anyway. Jar Flies absolutely uh, is an art album. Okay. Like, no question about it. I didn't think that you were way I, into them. So. I, I, I have a very sort of surface awareness and enjoyment of Allison Chains. Gotcha. Okay. Absolutely qualifies, though. Stabbing the Drama by Soil Work. No. No? Okay. <laughs> I'm right. going gonna, gonna to say a hard no on hard that no one. Hard no on that one? Okay. And that's not an art album. It's not expansive enough or dynamic enough to be an art album. Yeah. I've, I'm kind of shoehorning it in here because I think it's it is, it is, maybe the most be, dynamic of their albums. It might be a turning point. But maybe it isn't. Yeah. Um, but it's it, – they're, they're, you know, it's weird because I forget that there's an album in between um, in between Natural Born Chaos and – and stabbing the drama called figure number five oh, that was between you're right and so i forget about figure number five i always think it's after but because yeah. it feels like there is a progression from natural born chaos to stabbing the drama it feels yeah. like, oh yeah that would that's what would be next but no there's this whole other fucking album in between there where they were like kind of like well let's just do like let's just take all the simple parts from from natural born chaos <laughs> and make a whole record out of that yeah, no. I, I feel like Natural Born Chaos is almost more of an art album than Stabbing the Drama. Maybe so. Maybe um, so. I, I don't think they have a clear-cut one. Is the yeah, thing. I think Stabbing so. the Drama is an incredible album. Don't don't make no mistake about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway, that's all I got. That's all you got? Okay. Yep. So this is my, this is my, art, album, my art album contender. All right. All right. Oh! <laughs> Oh, I mean, I forgot about this album even. Okay. So I know, I mean, let's preface this by saying I am not a huge U2 fan. I know that you are a big U2 fan. Uh, I am. So I am. And so I'm a little biased for this record because this is my first U2 record. Okay. Okay. And so I know that some people would say like, oh, well, you know, because there's like the 80s, you know, sort of arc of U2, which is. That's where I'm coming from from. Like right. boy and you had war, right? And Joshua, Joshua Tree. Tree, and they did Rattle and Hum, where they sort of like explore a lot of American roots music, yeah. and then they did Octung Baby and Zuropa. But what I would say is that Octung Baby and Zuropa are still very much they're still writing those U two style anthems. They're just using a different kind of aesthetic. Is sort of yeah. what I would okay. say. Okay. You know, um, you know, like if you look up, Europa's really weird though. It is. There's a lot of weird shit on that album. It is, um, and so, and I'm less familiar with Zeropa. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But what I know about this record is that this is a, a beautiful existential crisis of a fucking record. For you or for Bono? For Bono. <laughs> <laughs> okay and i love it i'm here for it i love it's what i'm it, this is this is again it's one of my favorite albums of all time um it's it's 
it's such a special record to me because you have this band who like goes from, you know, like singing, you know, with or without you and streets like this very, like very. And then, and then after this, they would go back to that in a sense of like, you know, mm. beautiful day and, yeah, you know, okay. and, and all that sort of sense. And, you know, and then th- there's fucking songs about like the playboy mansion. I don't remember what was on this album. You know? Oh, Discotech, of course. Can I make it? Do I have what it takes to make it through the gates? Last night on Earth. Of that mansion. Staring at the sun. Um, that was on the radio right. a lot. You heard that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one of my favorite songs ever. Do you feel loved? It's so good. Um, all of these songs. I love all of them. And they're all like... Interesting. interesting. There's so much doubt. There's so much like existential doubt in this in in like even even somehow manifested sonically like they don't like are we a are we a techno band are we I mean, you can see how that would happen though right is this a very mit are we and because then you have songs like please or like wake up dead man that are very minimal and like and you have it's this whole collage of all these types of things and um and so yeah this is okay yeah i buy that you know, totally. And, and this is the other thing too, why, why it sort of feels this way to me. I don't, our, our, you know, lots of people would disagree with me, but this is what, what I do know is that all of the U2 fans that I've met, like people who are like, I'm a, that would, that would claim, <laughs> okay. that would name themselves as I am a U2 fan. Yeah. They hate this record. That's, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. And I love it. <laughs> it's, and so, and, and, and I, I love, other stuff that they like, I I love, I love um, whatever the all that you can't leave behind, uh-huh. how to dismantle the atomic bomb, um, no line on the horizon. I love all of those records, um, but yeah, this one is really special to me, and I think I was listening to it at a really special like formative time. Mm. I actually, so this would be a fun spot to end it. <laughs> I don't know. I think it was after seven. I don't know if it was after seventh grade or after eighth grade. Um, we went to band camp. Yeah, yeah, we did. And we we roomed together. Yes. And um, I was listening to this album a lot at the time, and and I would also uh, go back to the room. I would skip class to go back to the room to listen to Sober yeah. off of Undertow because you had that album and I did not. <laughs> Hell yeah! So I think you were like. I remember you bringing up Biohazard as well. Yeah. Did you have that record? I think I had two of them. I had Mataleo yeah. and I had whatever the other one was right. before that. State of the World Address or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember I would listen to uh, – Mataleo. Yeah. Because anyway. uh, there, there was a song that they had on the OzFest 96 thing. So yeah, I was yeah. very, very into that. Okay. And so um, – anyway. So many things these eyes have seen. Paper Love Man, I'll play stuff being. Weird band. Oh, yeah. You know. They don't have an art album. Uh, <laughs> their art album is the porno that Evan, Se- Evan Seinfeld, is that that dude's name that he that, did? That's a name that sounds like a name that would have been <laughs> that guy's name. So, all right. Well, I think that's I think that's it. Um. So, yeah. Episode two in the can. So, Cool. Adios, party people. Peace. Oh, this last album was U2 Pop. Oh, yeah, I guess. We're talking about U2 Pop. Okay, we're bad at this. (laughs) We're just getting started. Well, I thought maybe they could see this one at least.
Well, why don't we just listen to it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll... Uh, I don't know what we'll do. <laughs> All right, adios.